Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. Great to have you with us today. If you're watching on YouTube, you can always find out more about what we do here at officehours.global. That's the website that'll take you kind of as a portal into everything Office Hours. Our first hour, a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer your questions. So by using our Mukana interface, which you'll learn about on the website, you can add your questions into the queue and then um, vote on them, which is equally important. The ones that get the most votes are what we we talk about in the greatest depth and earliest. Second hour is typically devoted to a deeper dive into a topic. Today, of course, we are doing our main after action report about our NAB coverage. We spent uh, the last whole week on the floor at NAB with some great coverage, at least I believe that. The, the crews out there in the field did absolutely spectacular jobs of taking us and giving us a kind of a feeling of what it's like to go to the National Association of Broadcasters show. And we have, as you can see in the panel, quite a few of our crew people who were there on the show floor ready to discuss what happened and uh, how everything uh, rung out in terms of our NAB coverage. That's our second hour. But right now, it's the first hour, which means this is our regular daily show. So um, let's see, who's going to be reading? I didn't realize I was going to step in. Courtney is. Excellent. Courtney, take us to our first question. Uh, all right. First up uh, comes from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona. He says, for the last couple of months, we have told our impatient wallets to hold out for NAB. What brilliant new gadgets did the panel see that has assuaged their fussy wallets? And happily, Ronnie is back all the way from Tromso, Norway, and he's going to start us off today. Ronnie, how are you? Well, um, a few of the products I've uh, had the time in between all filming was to uh, have a look at the new Yamaha compact mixer. Um, the other ones was the um, uh, new monopods from Siri, which we actually started using on the floor. That's my two uh, uh, winners for, for the NAB. Excellent. Tom Ferguson is going to come in next. Oops, did we lose Tom? Are you muted? I think... I see something up in terms of the graphic. There I'm, you go. There I you go. I guess I was muted. So uh, X-Keys came out with a new T-Bar, a 14-button T-Bar. I don't know what I'm going to use this for yet. Perhaps a T-Bar for MixFX, a slow-mo controller, a light dimmer. It has a lot of possibilities. Not sure yet, but it just looked interesting. I would hook that up to your uh, blender for margaritas, personally. Anyway, Jeffrey Powers. <laughs> Yeah, that T-bar looked was really great. Uh, X-Keys did a great job on that. Um, Joe DeMax and uh, Central Control put out a new version of Central Control, which is macro-based, and it gives you a timeline, just like uh, just like Final Cut, just like uh, any any of these programs. So you can actually put your your switches into a timeline, and then uh, and then it will go from there, automate it. That was pretty sweet. I'll show you a couple quick pictures here. First of all. This is, and I can't remember the name of the company, but this is a really cool box for anybody that's doing portable, uh, portable. Uh, 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 ah, I'll show you the next so picture. Field production, portable field production. production. Okay. There, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so it basically opens up to this with a PTZ camera and a confidence monitor. There's a Scarlet down below. That was uh, that was a pretty sweet one. And then one more thing here. I can't queued up. Where is it? Uh, it is right here. It's from a company called Yellow Tech. And there it is right there. Uh, and it is this right here. So the Hush 2 is what they're, they're displaying, which is a, uh, a hardware mute for your mic. There's a preamp version. There's a non-preamp version. It starts at $350. Of course, Yellow Tech makes all this 
gear right here. So you could have the microphone up on top where this camera is. And when you hit your hardware mute, there's a little tally light right above it. So it lets you know if you are muted, if you're active. So those uh, that's about uh, that system's about a thousand dollars right there with uh, everything. Uh, but don't don't quote me on that. That that was just a a, a some uh, uh, estimate right there. So Show those were a few things that. I saw. Yeah, yeah. Cool, George Kennedy. Whoops, you're muted, George. Unmute yourself. So I'm going to come back with the OWC um, docs, which uh, I just got delivery of a couple of them. Um, so media is so important on set, and this really opens up the door for just um, being able to do have a little bit more control. On the back of it, you, if you see these little, let me point to the right side there, that is these little knobs, they're actually locks on the hardware level. So you'll be able to lock down the actual SD, SD part of it card of it. So you want to accidentally delete any of your media. Also with the OWC cards, eventually you'll be able to actually upgrade those cards. So it's a big deal that OWC is taking a whole lot of steps to ensure that, you know, your media is secured. Mm -hmm. um, I'll second Jeffrey and central control. I'm going to add to that. Um, for those of you that do a lot of playouts, uh, it's more like a, a, a Malumin um, integration they've done with, uh, with Joe Max and the timeline. So you'll be able to really build uh, opening of a show, closing of a show, middle of a show, or even run a whole show just by automating it. So it's really a big automation system they've done. There's so much that was on the show floor. I'm not going to try to go through all of it, but that's that's the two-hour pinpoint right now. All right, Tom. And Alex, you made it into the panel. Excellent. Are you there? <laughs> yeah, I am. A little camera issue in the morning this morning. But all ah. good. Sorry about that. Do you want to take the token and take over? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Go ahead, um, uh, Tom. Well, no one's mentioned the OBSPOT tail. I think it's coming out with an HDMI output, and uh, maybe it'll take away the uh, sweet spot for the Insta360 link. We'll have to see. Go, Jeffrey. Yeah, the, that was actually the tail too. Tail was their original uh, model that they put out in 2017, 2018. Uh, tail two not only has HDMI, but also has uh, uh, NDI HX two and I believe HX three, which is an adapter that'll go on the bottom. I wanted to show one more thing. I don't know much about this. Edwin has the uh, 411 on this, but this is uh, notice how the, the lenses are on the both of these cameras. This guy actually is creating this. He he wasn't showing at the show. He was just basically going, uh, creating content with that. It's just an amazing little camera. I think there's one Tons. of those. I talked to him a little bit about it, and he said that there's just one. And there used to be a, there used to be a bunch of them. I mean, it used to be a thing, but that's the only one that he knows of that exists in the world. So what it's designed to do is change the. It's three lenses that 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 change, you can spin them. So for documentary folks, it was really great because they could do a wide, they could do a close, they could do a medium. And you just put three lenses in and you can spin them. Um, but he didn't know of any. I asked like, where do you get this? He's like, oh, this is the last one <laughs> so, that he knows of. So, so anyway, so that was He told really us cool. that he built those. Mm, yeah, he told, um, I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. It's not what he told me, but it, it could be something different. <laughs> I was doing it in passing. Next question. Uh, we're going on to John Nichols in Concord, California. Next, I'm working on a Zoom studio in AWS. I have an M1 instance with Zoom ISO running, sending out NDI. I'd like to reliably record the ISO feeds in AWS. VMix ISO quarter is kind of working, but looking for other suggestions. 
Yeah, I'm actually not sure. I mean, of all the people we have here, I don't know how many people we have here that are actually recording in the cloud uh, as ISOs. Um, so most of us who are doing that ISO records are doing it on site. And uh, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. So one thing that we did talk about, of course, last week, Andy came on, talked about how you can integrate it with a lot of programs. And one of the programs that was missing was vMix. Well, sat in the booth with uh, Greg Gibson and Chirag uh, talking to vMix, and then uh, they brought Andy in. And I've, it's unofficial, and, and, uh, but there was the big confusion because vMix only runs in PC and ZoomIS only runs on a Mac. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see vMix uh, start to look at that. But otherwise, you can use OBS uh, or, uh, uh, and try and get that into AWS from there. Next question. Chris Weider in Lafayette, Indiana says, we all have a mental list, formal or not, of things that could make the work we do easier. Did any of the road products announced mark off things on anyone else's list? Go ahead, Courtney. The Streamer X looked interesting. It, it would be something so that I could take my uh, uh, road, uh, Roadcaster Pro 2 and my Canon uh, on the road with me and still have the same look and uh, sound that I have here, so... That looked interesting. It is overpriced, though. I think they priced it about a hundred bucks too high. Go on, Alex. Yeah, I agree. There's they're cool products. I think the the Streamer X thing. I mean, for me at that price point, I would much prefer the Roland UVC zero two, which has a nice mic preamp and all the processing and uh, does 1080p HDMI and doesn't do 4K. Uh, but it does have really good build quality going for it. The the one thing that they haven't checked off my list, I'm going to keep saying it until you do it, Road, is Dugan Auto Mix on the Roadcaster. Go ahead, uh, Jeffrey. Yeah, so this is uh, this is what you're talking about. Streamer X is on the left side right there, and that's the uh, Roadcaster Duo. We got to we had a great com I had a great conversation with Ryan, uh, and I have a more extended video from the, what we saw on the uh, live show. Uh, but it's the one thing about that Streamer X is it's also like a Stream Deck with the four buttons right there. It's total audio mixer uh, as well, so you get a lot of control from that little that little device right there. Can you program those keys? What what are those, those yes. four keys do? They just they're anything they, you want. Anything you want, and it's paginated, so you can you can uh, and every time you switch the button, you can change the color combination. So at least you have some idea of what the buttons are going to be doing. Right. And uh, same thing with the Duo. And and the best part about the Duo is now you can connect up your wireless Go uh, uh, labs to the uh, to the unit. And that's both of them. They did a firmware update while we were at NAB that also has that feature. That's great. Next question. Tlaluk Lopez-Waterman in Salisbury, Maryland currently says, do PTZ optics pan-tilt zoom cameras work if mounted at 90 degrees for a 9x16 coverage? He's going to test that today. Good, Courtney. Yeah, the tricky thing about that is you're going to have to remember to turn your control 90 degrees so that you don't get confused as to what is up, what is down, what is left, what is right. Uh, unless your uh, PTZ Optics has a switch to, you know, remap all the up, down, left, right controls for 90 degrees. And, of course, uh, your video coming out has to be marked as 9 by 16 instead of 16 by 9. So if you're just doing it the old-fashioned way of just turning the camera sideways, you have to Take all that stuff into account, especially if you're using a PTZ. Next question. 
Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, the RTX 4070 has gotten bad reviews for gameplay, and he notes not enough VRAM. Would it still be a good choice for content creation in Unreal Engine, NVIDIA's Omniverse, or Python needing CUDA cores? Yeah, I think that I think that it just depends on how what, what you're doing with it. <laughs> you know, so there are definitely things that the 4070 could probably put together could do. Um, and uh, but I think that if, without enough VRAM, you know, if you start as you start building where, where that becomes a big issue primarily is texture maps and geometry complexity. So if the texture maps get really heavy, if there's a lot of geometry, it's got to hold it all in the v, in in the VRAM as it passes it through. And so if it's not enough, you may not be able to get enough detail in your model. So you may not be able to use the highest uh, LOD level of detail. So you may not be able to use that highest level of detail, both in geometry. Um, what, what happens is, is that when you're playing a game and what people are probably complaining about is as the model gets closer, it actually swaps that model um, with a higher resolution. So more geometry and higher texture, higher quality texture maps. And as it adds those together, it may not be going all the way up because the card can't handle it. The question really is, is, is are the game manufacturers just really pushing those textures, which is what a lot of people like me have been pushing for for a long time, which is if we want to put in a Quadra card or we want to put in four GPUs or whatever, we want the game to keep going so that it will just keep on getting better. Um, and if we want to, you know, if, we, if I want to build a $30,000 box to play, I want to be able to use up that $30,000 box. And so those have been discussions we've had with game developers for a long time. What that does do, though, is that it gamers know that they're not getting what they could. It makes them a little a little crazy <laughs> you know, that they're not going all the way up. Um, so I'm not sure whether it's that the games are are starting, some of the games are starting to push further or whether they cut corners on the 4070 with a lower level of VRAM than what they had in some of the earlier cards. Next question. Next one comes to us from Alexander Knight here on the panel in Vancouver, British Columbia. Has anyone tried these types of inexpensive motorized camera pan heads? And he's got a link there. And if the remotes don't conflict when you're using multiples. Go ahead, Courtney. I don't know about that. It looks interesting. They're, they're pretty cheap is what she's talking about here is motorized pan tilt head. It works with a handheld remote control, which would lead me to believe that that might be problematic if it is infrared or whether it's infrared or Bluetooth, whether you have to maintain a line of sight to your pan tilt head to control it with the remote, it would be really great if that remote interfaced to uh, Wi-Fi somehow and you could uh, talk to it over a Wi-Fi circuit. That would be a lot better because then you could go remotely and not even have it in the same room. That's what I would look for. But for 108 bucks, you know, <clears throat> you might try it out. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I I had one of these uh, a few years ago, and uh, it was still radio controlled. So every time that you use the uh, the PTZ, uh, you actually hear it in your audio, the little type sound. Uh, so they've changed it. It's now two point four gigahertz wireless. I'm looking at on the uh, US site, uh, and I'm seeing a lot more brands that are the same. I'm definitely looking for something that's going to have a Visca control to it. But the other big thing is usually. Uh, that I had with that head that I'd be looking with this one is how the motors hold the camera. Because with the other one, you'd always get that little jolt if you tried to move it. Uh, so the motors weren't perfect on there. So that's that's what I'd look. And of course, it's on Amazon. So if it get it. And if it doesn't work, just send it back. Yeah, go ahead, Marty. Um, yeah, so Salary Works is another product that uh, has a fairly inexpensive uh Pan tilt head that can work with a bunch of different cameras, you know, fairly lightweight cameras from camcorders to small POV cameras. And that would be another product to look at. 
Yeah, and, and one thing you have to make it, you're not going to, anything under about a couple thousand dollars, you're not going to want to pan while you're cut to that camera. Like, it's just it's just not going to move well enough. Uh, it may move a little, you know, these are going to be pretty jerky. Um, I've, I've tested a lot, of cam a lot of PTZ heads under $300, and they're all jerky. Um, and so they're never going to be great um, to move over. So my recommendation is, is that um, manage your expectations. Um, they do, they oftentimes you can reframe. So you cut away from them, you reframe, and then you come back to them and they work okay. Um, they, they sometimes don't always come back to exactly the same place that they were, um, but they, they do a pretty good job, you know, making those things work. So, so those are things to kind of think about there. Again, as Jeffrey said, it's Amazon. You can order it, see if it works. If it doesn't, you don't even have to put it back in the box. <laughs> just, just, they actually, they ask you not to put it back in the box. They just, just give it back to us in a bag and we'll, we'll send it back. So um, I would definitely go ahead and test it and see if, uh, uh, if it works and let us know. Um, yeah, Alex, since you're on the panel here, uh, I'd love for you to um, try it out. <laughs> see how that works for you. All right. Um, next question. David Brady's up next from New York City. I was recently asked if there are any 360-degree webcams that can be used in Zoom. Figured I'd ask here and see if it's worth exploring. The Owl looks kind of goofy. Does the Insta360, the Obsbot, or Ricoh cameras have a UVC360 that might do? Go ahead, John. We have the Rico from Tom. Tom, let us borrow his Rico. We have that working in YouTube Live, 360-degree. We have not seen that... At on anywhere else and if we could figure this out with zoom zoom would have to include that on the player side so if you figure it out let me know because we're going to put it in the rocket go ahead, jeffrey when i had when i hooked up my insta 360 uh, yeah my insta 360 rs1 uh and then came into after hours what happened was it actually did uh the first the first half on a strip on the top and a second half on a strip on the bottom it was 1080 you couldn't change that now I know that there was a previous firmware version where it actually did work similar to a PTZ. So I actually did ask uh, the folks at Insta360 the other day if that was something that was going to be in the future. And they did not say no. They can't say yes yet. Yeah, so you need a player, as, as John said, and, and the, the, this is probably a, a, an opportunity for someone to build a plugin that would stream out to that so that you would, you'd have a window inside of it. So this would be a, a Zoom extension um, that would be a player. I don't, think Zoom, I don't think there's enough people that want to do it that Zoom would put it in on their own. So this is the kind of thing that this is what extensions were built for. Um, and so, uh, so adding a Zoom extension, that would be a, a, the 360 players are fairly straightforward. The real problem with the OWL is that you just the resolutions aren't very good. You know, that's in, in my opinion. Um, and so it, it just looks, and the point of view isn't great. Now, one thing I did notice is I was watching a little bit of, um, of uh, uh, Elon Musk's thing yesterday. So after the launch yesterday, there was this round table. And what he obviously did is put a bunch of cameras in the center of the, of the table and then shot them up. Now, that is not, by the way, that's, I don't, how many people, did anyone see that? Did, did you guys see the thing? But what he did was, there was, and we'll see if this actually, I don't know, I'm not going to do that just yet. But anyway, so, um, but what he did is he had it in a circle and he had cameras in the center and mics for every person. And then they, they pushed them all out and grabbed it. And I think that that's what you would do when you first thought of this. But what they should have done is shot from the outsides to do that. But what you could do here, if you wanted to put something on the center of the camera, is I would think about getting multiple versions of like the Insta360 or the OBSBOT, pre-program them for folks. So if you had two or three of those, um, uh, you could build, I mean, and this is where things get interesting. What we started playing with, and you know, we haven't, we took it to a certain degree of just basically doing basic cutting, but you can build a lot of controls. If you're using a Raspberry Pi or using a 
um, Arduino, you can take the information, the mic information, especially if every person has a mic, say this is, you could make a bunch of, you, you could build a decision tree that says when this person's talking and they're on the other side of the table, then, you know, cut to that, you know, go to that cam that person and cut to that camera. When this person's talking with the person next to them, just zoom out. You know, like, you know, just, you know, so so it, it knows where it is and where it's going and it can make a decision with a handful of cameras. Now, obviously, you can have a bunch of cameras. You can put six of them in there for six people and then you don't have to do any of that. But you can with these little PTZs now, you could do a lot of things that are pretty interesting as far as putting something in the center of a, of a, of a table that would grab it. The quality would be doing something like what I just described will be 10 times better than any 360 camera that you put in the middle. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. And Chris asks, is it just me or do you have a small portable variable speed fan that you like to have as a backup? Mine will run for hours and hours on a small battery pack. Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, it's just you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say it. It was so tempting. It was so tempting to say that. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. No, I, I, I have uh, in working on set all the time and, and being a former sound mixer, I'm sensitive to the amount of sound that, uh, that my equipment creates, uh, which is always a, a thorn in the side of the sound department. Uh, so on all my computers that had to be used on set, I, I rigged all of mine with uh, – resistors and a switch in the fan controls for all the power supply fans, et cetera. And I had a resistor. I could drop them to half speed so they'd make a lot less noise uh, to, to drop their speed to their where they're inaudible. But that's not a bad idea to have a, uh, a battery-powered variable speed fan that you could uh, use to uh, cool your equipment off uh, and keep it from overheating. One thing to, to bear in mind that instead of using a resistor, because you're going to be using up just as much current if you slow it down with a resistor is use a switching power supply, a variable switching power supply that, that drops the voltage down for the fan and you'll use less current. Good, Bill. So I have this weird thing. I, you know, I used to live in Phoenix and it was hot and it was constantly hot. So I had this weird little fan that I found on a light and that little center thing is one of those Dyson kind of uh, air movers. And I used to use this all the time at my desk when I was in Arizona and would constantly get hot. So that was my personal fan. It's not the kind of thing you take out in the field, but I have to say it saved my life a lot on those August days when even with the air conditioning, it was still very muggy. Yeah, one of the things that we um, that we have used in the past for some of these things uh, is a uh, computer fans that are absolutely silent, so they make no noise at all, and then we rewire them all up to make them work um, because of that because of the sound. Next question, Andre Dale in Berlin comes in next. He says regarding the sensor, which camera should deliver the better picture: the Insta three hundred and sixty Link, the Obsbot Osbot Tiny Two, or the Obsbot Tail? Go, ahead, Jeffrey. It's the uh, tail air is what they showed, the second version of that device. And I did not get the sensor size on the tail air, but HDMI out and uh, NDI ability, I would say it's going to have a pretty decent look to it. As for between the Insta360 and the Obsbot Tail 2, depending on when, when, when we finally get Tail 2 into the studio, uh, it does have a larger sensor in there. So it'll probably do a little bit better than the three Insta360, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Insta360 counters back pretty quick. Well, and, and the tiny is not the, it, it, the, there's the tiny and there's the 4K, right? Those are two different, or is it, or, yeah, is, the, or is the new one that is called the tiny? The new one's called the tiny, uh, tiny two. Yeah, the OBSBOT, the, the regular 
I don't have it on tape. Oh, this one. This one is the tiny. And then, of course, the new one's the tiny, too. The tail, ha it looks a lot like this, except it's elongated because, of course, they're, it's all wireless. Uh, the, the original one was wireless, and the second one, of course, will have the HDMI port on it. So, yeah, because the, and, and the, because I think that the, I'm trying to, the tech specs on the 4K, um, it's a, you know, it's a 4K image, um, but I believe that the tech spec is slightly, it is slightly higher than one half inch. Is that, is that correct? As far as the, um, uh, I think mm -hmm. the chip itself is, is a slightly, slightly yeah, larger the, than the, yeah, go ahead. The tiny two was one, one over 1. 1.5. I still don't know how to say that one, one slash 1.5 inch. Uh, and like I said, I did not get the sensor size on the tail. So I'm, I was looking that up, but apparently Obspot's website is slammed right now because it's not loading. No, I have it up. And the problem is, is that the, the, what it doesn't show is the sensor size of the 4K. So the, um, it, it is, for some reason, they've taken that out. I know with the tiny, it was one over 2.8. And one over 2.8 is smaller than the um, Insta360s, which is one over two. So, um, so the, it's a one third inch, basically 1.28 is a one third inch, you know, they're just, you know, it's slightly different, but it's one third inch. And this is one half inch is what's in the uh, Insta360 link. For some reason, I thought that it was a little bit larger, but it, yeah, I'm not sure if it is. Uh, I think that the OBSBOT has the advantage of having OSC control for it. Um, it's got a wider lens, which means you're basically gonna, for most of the uses that we would use it for, you're basically throwing away any advantage that you have with the sensor size with a wider lens. So it's not just the sensor. Um, so the, the wider fo focal length um, of the, or is going to damage the quality because you're gonna have to zoom through it um, to get there. Go ahead, uh, George. Jeffrey, did you confirm that the OBSBOT will be able to take the tiny, you'll be able to go USB-C to HDMI and any, 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 any thoughts on that from the panel? Is that workable for what we're doing? Are you talking the UV using that UVC box that Obsbot came out with? Yeah, switch it to HDMI. Mm -hmm. I did. You know, I never even thought of that. Yeah, um, I got I got the contact, so I'm going to be emailing him uh, either today or Monday, and try and get some more information off of that. So once I know, I'll let you guys know. But I'm pretty sure it will. But we don't. I don't know yet. We know with the Insta360, we can't get any information back and forth. We can we can convert it to HDMI, but we can't actually control it. Um, you know, we lose the, that connection. Next question. Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia here on the panel. When connecting a Mac to the ATEM Mini, I noticed it defaults to the Blackmagic HDMI color profile. Is this optimal or would you suggest a different color profile that's more accurate? Go ahead, Jason. I'm not sure if it's optimal or not. It looks pretty good to me. I think Apple gets all of these things from um, the ICC database. So Blackmagic at one point submitted that to the ICC and Apple just queries that database. Good, Courtney. Yeah, they, ATEM uses Rec. 709. Uh, maybe they could use Rec. 709-6, which is the more, uh, the newer version. Rec. 709 is compatible back to, I think, 1990. So that's the color space, the color gamut that they use, I believe. Yeah, the Rec. 709, and I think almost everything will connect to Rec. 709. The, the, the real issue is, is the actual color profile. So what, is, what are the gammas? What are the, you know, all the bits and pieces there? And um, what, uh, the best way to do this is to take an X-Rite. You know, this is one of the, 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 the spider. Um, and you take the spider and you run, you go through the, the, your, your ATEM. So you, you plug it into the ATEM. You put the spider on, on a monitor. You put, take the spider and plug it into your Mac. 
and then you tell it to calibrate, and it'll build a custom profile, but that custom profile will take into account the switcher. So it will, because it's, it's looking at what's coming out the other end of that monitor. Now, you had to, the problem is with the monitor is the monitor, you have to test the monitor, make sure the monitor is accurate as well. So there's a bunch of things that there's a bunch of loops there, but that's how you, and that also fixes all the little black issues that people have and everything else is that, you know, with the, you know, with the, um, the crushed blacks or the, or the thing, the gamma being off, uh, if, if the color profile coming out of the Mac has been adjusted to go through the switcher, uh, it'll, uh, it'll make the adjustments that you need for that. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona. And Jack asks, without having Mukana, what are the best ways to collect questions when you're live streaming from your audience? Our audience is in a Discord channel on YouTube and from Instagram. Uh to get through all of them, you, you have a couple things that there that don't really get along. As, as far as scraping, I don't know of any app that scrapes all three of those things at the same time. So you're going to end up with somebody opening those up and cutting and pasting them um, between the, between the two. Um, what I would say is that I don't generally recommend. I know I'm, I, I know I keep on warning that we're going to do this, but we're now very close to streaming out to a lot of things. But I don't, we're doing that for testing here. I wouldn't recommend it as a as a content generation tool. So I do not recommend, if you're doing this all the time, to stream out to many, many platforms all at one time because you get into the, exactly the problem you're having here is you're fragmenting your audience. So you want to use the other platforms for other content. So stream you know, pre-shows and stream post-shows and stream other things to those, but always bring them back to the same channel. And my recommendation for that channel is YouTube. Um, YouTube has the best tools for the chat. It also has, um, you know, a, without something like Makana or Slido. Slido is another one that you could use for that. Um, but those are the problem with Slido is you have to download an app to do the whole thing. And, and um, that's a little bit more difficult. But, um, but anyway, so the... Um, yeah, so so that's that's what I would that's what I I would think about getting them all to YouTube because that's going to be your best streaming output and also reach out to me. Talk to me about uh, what you're trying to do and we'll talk about it. Next question. Uh, Ronnie Hopso in Tromsø, Norway, who happens to be on the panel today, says, "Is anyone from Office Hours going to Frankfurt for the ProLight Plus Sound show next week?" Uh, we're not going to we, we thought we might go to that. We're not going to end up going to it. If you go to it, we'd love to see what you see. Are you going, Ronnie? Are you? No. 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 Or not? Um, I think that our next uh, our next show right now is going to be Cinegear. So, and um, if you're listening right now and you're interested in Cinegear, start looking at those dates. Uh, we'll send out an invite for you to sign up uh, next week, and um, probably early next week, as early as Monday. Um, and so um, that's for for for. for for, for Josh to know, <laughs> we're going to send out an invite. So anyway, um, so anyway, but we'll be picking up speed almost immediately uh, for for Cinegear. I think that trying to do ProLight and Sound next week would have been difficult for us to make the pivot and and get to it. So we're, we're going to go go for Cinegear, and then our our schedule right now is Cinegear, then Seagraph, then IBC, and I expect to attend all of those. So uh, hopefully, I'll see more and more folks here. I, you know, we can talk about that in the second hour. Next question. Craig Kadoke in uh, Toronto, Canada. A recent update to Zoom has added live performance audio for multiple instruments or voices, claiming lower latency. Anyone played with this yet? And this is different from original sound for musicians. I have not played with it. Um, so we're going to have to, uh, it looks like a, there's a lab waiting in our future to figure out what that actually is. Uh, next question. 
Douglas Carmichael comes up next. And this time the question is at the SpaceX Starship test launch, the crew from NASASpaceflight.com had a sacrificial minivan with remote operated cameras close to the launch pad. How would you remotely control the camera change a chain and how would you transfer the footage? Well, I don't know if they if they were sacrificing it, they probably needed to get the footage out in real time. So they had a cape. They could they, they could you can absolutely do this wirelessly. Um, but my guess is, is they probably ran a fi- fiber cable to it. You know, they probably ran fiber to that. Um, uh, you can run fiber a long way and it'll carry your IP connections, your your um, audio connections, your video connections. So and, and I think that the limit on single mode fiber is something like seven miles. So so you, you, they probably could have gotten close enough that they could have run the fiber. And I'm sure that they have some smart people that know how to do those kind of things. So. Um, so anyway, so um, so I think that they could they could have gotten close enough um, that they could have just run fiber to to run all of those things from a wired connection. So once it gets there, you break it all out. So you have fiber to SDI, fiber to audio, fiber to IP, and you know you run a TAC twelve, and you can do almost everything you would need to do here. Uh, next question. James Brooks is coming in from New York next. Do you think recording isolated video will become part of Zoom the same way that isolated audio is a part of the recorded Zoom? I think so, but I, you know, I think that doing it in the cloud may not be the thing. That, I mean, I don't know if Zoom wants to take on recording all of like this panel of sixteen people uh, would be a, a thing, you know, for for Zoom to do. I think they're going to leave it up now that they have tools that they're handing us. I think that they're probably not going to take it on themselves. They're like, if you want sixteen high quality videos, you can do that on your own. <laughs> so anyway, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I think that with all of the activity and kind of buzz in this kind of space, I guess you'd call it, it's clear that somebody's going to do it. The real question becomes, do you want to do it uh, like Riverside, uh, double-ended? Do you want do you want a recording done there? Do you want it recorded in the cloud? Do you want it at your location? And there's pros and cons t- to all three of those. Uh, m- my preference would be in the cloud, kind of like what Riverside does, um, because if you're working with remote editors, like we are, um, it's equally painful for any of them to get the media, right? So just download the, the files from the session, and then you can go into your uh, edit session. Um, but there's strong arguments for doing a double-ended record. And I, I'm, my guess is that Zoom is looking at all of the options. Yeah, and I think again, I, I'd be surprised if well, we'll see. I, I think that now that they've given the tools, if to do what we're doing here to record this thing is, it's a lot of uh, work for a company to do. That's a pretty small edge case, you know, for Zoom, um, because there's just not that many people that need the need all the ISOs. They'll just be happy with the show that they have. Um, and so I think that my guess is, is that again, I think that we'll see more and more audio controls, but I don't think that the amount of expense for Zoom to save all of those files would be a thing. Um, and so I think that they'll leave it up to people like us to provide that service for people. Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, and you have to remember Zoom's also trying to be a platform that enables partners to create differentiating experiences. So if it's a small enough audience that it's not worth it for Zoom themselves to do, they'll likely make it easy for one of their partners to provide that service. I don't think that they would include it with their basic tier if Zoom does try to do it because there's just not a big enough audience and it probably costs more than it's worth. So you would want to get more money out of the people who do use it. 
there are um, companies in Hollywood that will drive up with a truck and they'll take all the camera feeds and they feed them into that truck and they just, you just turn it on and it just records all the cameras, you know? And so that way, because it, it turns into, oh, I've got a 20 camera shoot, your broadcast truck doesn't have that, but there are people who have a record, they are specialists in just recording all of your cameras and they have people who, you know, record it in, you know, they record two copies of it. They back it up, they hand it to you, they put it in the cloud, they give you H.264s, they give you all those things. And that's just a service that they add to your, that you just, you hire that truck to come in. You don't, a, a broadcast truck doesn't try to figure all of that out. Um, they have, you know, they, they just grab all those feeds. I might even have a picture of it, I'll try to bring it up. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that I think that there's a service of people, when people are thinking here, <laughs> there's probably a service of going, hey, we can re we can record all the ISOs of your meeting. Um, and it's X number of dollars an hour for us to do that. And you just take a Zoom ISO with Cine, you know, Cinemaker or you build your own version of it and you literally jump into people's meetings and record all their ISOs and deliver them back to their editors. You know, I think that that's actually a business that probably wants to happen. Uh, so the, for, if you're thinking about what can I do with all these new tools that, that uh, Zoom has given us, that could be one of them. Next question. Next question comes to us from Eric Price in Kansas City. And Eric says, has, any in, has anyone in the group incorporated any sort of custom mappable keyboard like the Work Louder Creator or the Creator Macro keyboards into their production or post-production workflow? And he's got a link. Go ahead, Jeffrey. I haven't done that one, but I got uh, I did get uh, the Corsair's K55 keyboard. Well, of course, Corsair is the parent company to Elgato. So you basically install what's called the IQ software off of this, and then you can then go into your Stream Deck, and these six buttons on the left side become Stream Deck buttons. So, and and I've been I'm using it down in my main studio on that. Plus, I got to see the first hand on the uh, the X. X, XKE 14 T-Bar. And the best part about this is it's totally modular. So if you don't want that T-Bar in the middle, you can move it over. You can put a jog wheel on there. You can move some of the buttons. And this is, uh, this is supposed to work natively with, uh, with uh, vMix and some of the other programs. So you can check those out as well. I was going to say something like, oh, I don't need or want a keyboard like that. I just like the regular keyboard. And I opened up the link and I was like, I need that keyboard. <laughs> it looks so nice. <laughs> it's like, like literally I opened up the web page in my, my pocket, my, with where my, my wallet was just caught fire. You know, so, so we'll see. We'll see if we can get a hold of one of those. It looks really cool. It just looks like a very, really great machining. And uh, there's a little version and an Excel version. And now I, I, didn't, I didn't know it existed like a minute ago. And now I'm trying to figure out how to afford it. Uh, next question. Uh, Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts says, is it safe to assume all video editing editors will be adding edit by text capability soon? Uh, go ahead, John. It's not safe to assume anything about any future details of any uh, software release. Speech transcription in particular is incredibly tricky for software companies to do. There's basically four companies that are doing it well, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. And there's a big difference in the quality between those services and the services from the smaller companies that can't use machine learning or don't have as, as large of a data set to use machine learning on. So I wouldn't assume it, but I do think it's likely for the big players to incorporate it somehow. Go ahead, Sky. I would think that all editors would would engage it if that they have the opportunity to to do it, because it's um, a, a quick function of making the your job quicker. But 
what I appreciate is that the executives or the staff of the, the the people that are trying to get these things done can now hopefully get a part of, be a part of the creative process and the editor can get down to the fine finish. Good, Courtney. It depends on uh, what type of editors you're talking about. Dramatic film editors, you know, video or television show editors probably can't really use it because you've got multiple takes with the same dialogue in it. But it depends if the software is set up to automatically you feed the script in and it lines up all the takes from each camera angle of all that particular line on your sub-timelines. That would be handy to have. I don't know of any software that does that yet, but maybe they, it's coming. Go ahead, Jeffrey. So I've been playing with the beta uh, Premiere Pro uh, with the edit uh, edit text uh, to video, and it's been it's it's a it's a changer. I mean, you you when you're editing, you're mostly looking at the uh, at the audio because then you can you can see start seeing the bumps and the and the bruises and, and make it look like the Matrix. But now you're looking at the text, and you're seeing what could be edited in and what could be edited out. And I found that when I was doing the text editing thing, I was looking more at that than I was at the screen. So probably the best person will be able to have an eye on both parts to be able to uh, figure out when you need that extra, not um space, but dead space to make it flow correctly. And uh, and so, yeah, I would if you really want to try it, you know, the Premiere is still in beta. You can download that. And, and I know DaVinci Resolve just added that with their new uh, their new version. So you can check that out there, too, and see if it works for you. Good, Bill. My friends Phil and Greg at Lumberjack Systems have had a system that does this for about seven years now, and I played for played with it back in the first two or three years. The thing that got me, though, was that it's great having the ability to cut text and turn it into uh, a string out or a rough cut, but you're not talking about intonation there. And I can't tell you the number of times when I was playing with that four or five years ago that I'd put a line in and think it was the right line because it said the right things, but the delivery of the the actual words was completely wrong. And then I'd have to go find the same lines in another take and bring that in. Does it solve some problems? Is it good for certain kinds of work? Absolutely. And if you've got a speaker or something like that, and they're delivering the same tonality through the whole piece, it can be very effective. But don't expect it to transform Hollywood or anything where you have dramatic interpretation, because that's what missing that what's missing when you just see the words and you try to edit cut on what people are saying rather than how they're saying it. Yeah, and, and I think that there are many, many places, as I said before, whether it's podcasts or corporate presentations or other things like that where the editing by text makes a lot of sense. But for dramatic stuff, probably not. The other thing is, is that a lot of times, exactly what Bill said, we've done things where one of the ways that we've done when we work with someone that's willing to do this because it produces the best content, in my opinion, is that we have, we know what the wide shot is, we know what the close shot is, we know what everything we're going to do there, and we have them just do those parts of the sentence. We don't have them do a teleprompter. We literally have them look at it, say it a couple times, and then say it into the camera until it's perfect. But to Bill's point, we have them say about three or four words before it and three or four words after what where we're going to cut. But we know exactly what the edit's going to be when we do that, but we need that intonation to be correct. And then we just cut back and forth between them, and you end up with a super dense, high-energy um, you know, thing, but it, it takes a lot of work in the pre-pro because you're not just capturing a bunch of stuff. You're making a decision about where the camera's going to be for every little bit and piece. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. How would you compare Wirecast to Mimo Live? Personally, I think native Zoom support sets Mimo Live apart. Go ahead, Jeffrey. 
Um, Wirecast also got Zoom support off of this uh, this last part too. Uh, for me, Wirecast there, there's a lot of different a lot of good uh, differences uh, where I would choose Wirecast over Mimo Live, mostly because I work in a cross environment, and Mimo Live works simply on Mac. Um, and but there are some other things if you're doing like any type of screen grab screenshots and, and things like that, I think Wirecast works a little bit better. If you're doing any type of chroma key, Wirecast has uh, more tools to uh, to key in your uh, your video and work in the, the alpha channel a little bit better. So I, I would choose Wirecast over Mimo Live right now, but uh, I haven't used Mimo Live in a little while, so I'd love to get it in studio and just to make sure that uh, that I'm that everything I said is per, is exactly correct. Yeah, I I um, use Wirecast for years. In fact, I built a whole my my I got my whole company off the ground using Wirecast, and um, and I uh, it'd be hard for me to go back to it, uh, mostly because of the the amount of scars that I have, you know, using it in that time frame. Um, and so I think it, it has gotten better, but it was, stability was a real challenge um, for me uh, using using Wirecast. Little things like it would drop out of sync if I took the headphone jack out of the computer. Um, and so uh, so that was the, 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 the challenges that we had there. Um, I think that one of the reasons I would lean towards Wirecast definitely is because of the fact that it's cross-platform, as Jeffrey said. The, one of the reasons I lean towards Memo Live is because I don't use PCs on a daily basis anymore. And I, I want apps that are written to the M1. Like, so I don't want apps that are trying to figure out how to do, like, so I've become very, like, I will, unless they have a huge engineering team, like, resolve, I don't want cross-platform apps. Like, to, to be honest, I want people who are, because the, the problem is the chipset now on the Mac and the chipset on the PC are so different from each other. It's not like there are two Intel processors that you're kind of writing to and you have to change the code a little bit. I want, you know, as a Mac user, I just want to buy apps that are completely driven, or written for the Mac, unless they are a really big company. Um, because I, because the cross-platform means you're spending additional res, uh, scarce resources on two different platforms. And as a user, I don't want that. <laughs> so, next question. Next one comes to us from Courtney Gooden in Hollywood. And Courtney says, Jeffrey, anything to report from NAM? Any new mixers or microphones we should be aware of? Go ahead, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of great stuff at NAMM. Uh, mostly when it comes to the mixers, I did get to check out the Tascam. Uh, uh, there's, they have the 16 and the 24 channel uh, Sonic View uh, mixers. And of course, there were 16 channels and 24 channels. But with the breakout box, if you use Dante, you could get up to 64 channels. Uh, so that's great. I saw Yamaha's DL3. They weren't as robust with the Dante channels uh, as as Tascam was. I think it was only 16 by 16, if I remember correct. Uh, I went over to Alan and Heath's uh, uh, booth, and I saw uh, some of their new, uh, new mixers. And I have to be honest, I, I don't know too. I, I know of Alan and Heath back in the day, but not of their digital mixers. They looked very impressive, and uh, they had a lot of great features to them. Uh, the Neumann microphones uh, and and the preamp uh, or the little uh, box there was really cool. And of course, we saw that at NAB as well. Um, and then other than that, some really cool guitars. The, one thing that a lot of these third-party guitar makers were doing was their, they were stressing their guitars to make them look like they were very old. And those guys, those guys got sold out within like the first day um, because... At that show, you can actually sell 
product from there. And so that was that was that. Uh, other than that, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But Nam was about, I'd say about sixty percent back to its original capacity, which was great. Ronnie. Well, uh, microphones, uh, Audix launched a new PDX720, which is uh, a hypercardoid uh, with the presence boost buttons, etc. Uh, so that was a good one. Uh, sure, did kind of relaunch the, the KSM11 uh, head uh, for vocals uh, going on to the wireless transmitter series from Sure, And Rode, of course, had their... Um, competition to this uh, SM7 uh, clones with the USB interface, and uh, they also have this uh, wireless uh, uh, called RODGO uh, ME, which is a little uh, different from the RODGO 2s that we are used to. Next question. Next one comes to us from Ian Alford in London, and Ian says, what is the benefit of the FX3 over the cheaper full-frame cameras from Sony in the A7 line? You know, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, so the FX3 has a lot more processing, so you're going to have higher resolution. You're going to have uh, more, you know, it, it, it can process a lot more of, of what it's getting from that chip. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it, if you just want a full-frame sensor um, and you're using it as a base form, you might be able to find that these smaller cameras that are all, half the cost of the FX3 will work. But if you're really starting to do, if you're going to go out and shoot on site and do, you know, and really need a camera to move as fast as you need to in production, you're going to lean towards the FX3. So it's not going to, you know, the smaller one gets more people into full frame, but it's not going to have the, the it's the, all the little dials on the outside so that you can make those adjustments quickly, uh, more processing power inside the camera to process those frames. Um, so it's, it is, uh, it's not the same camera for less, like the little ones are not, are not there. I don't have the list I can, that I can list the two of them um, back and, you know, back and forth. I don't, I own a FX 30, which is a smaller version, but super 35. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. And do we know if, is there a difference in terms of build quality and cooling? Because yeah. I know the FX line is, you know, it's designed for cinema. So if you're going to be running it all day, is that going to be an issue on the other lines? Yeah. The smaller lines have been known for having, smaller Sony cameras have been known for having heat issues. Um, the, 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 the more robust ones are designed for, you know, being able to dissipate heat from the chips a lot, a lot more effectively. Uh, next question. John Snyder's up next from Reno, Nevada. Uh, Alex mentioned using a Spider to calibrate monitors. Is there a meaningful difference between the Spider X Pro and the Spider X Elite? I'll go ahead, Jason. Uh, there is and there isn't. The hardware is identical. The difference is that the Spider X Elite can um, calibrate multiple parts of the same display and um, it can do display matching. So if you've got two monitors that you need to calibrate perfectly to each other, then you need the Elite. Next question. Marty Adius in Maryland uh, says, given a set of video files to edit without metadata, is there a way to analyze what color space and dynamic range the camera used? Uh, usually that's... Uh... I guess it's not if it's not in the metadata, not really. <laughs> you know, like that's where the meta that's where it tells you what it's what it's doing. A lot of us can look at it and have a pretty good idea of where of where it is. And a lot of a lot of times when we're dropping that that data in, when we're dropping something into something like Resolve to manage the color, 
um, we just make decisions about what it needs to do. You know, like a lot of times there's a, you, you'll go through, if you don't have the metadata and you don't know where it came from, a lot of times we'll look at what those, um, you know, we'll experiment with what, if you, if you at least know what camera it came from, we can start to look at those things. But um, a lot of times we use, we play with LUTs. So we go, go from here to here because you're basically doing an OOTF conversion. Um, you know, so it's a, there is an E, uh, there's an OETF, which is optical to electrical uh, transfer function. Function. And that's one way to get from one place to the other. The other way to do it is OO, which is that I have it. It's, it's or it's an EE, I guess, um, but electrical, electrical. So you're basically going from, I'm sorry, yeah, you're going from the one file to another. And what you're trying to do there is just figure out what transform makes the most sense, you know, for that. But a good colorist can just open it up and, you know, start, you know, they'll start with what, what they're, you know, get to something close and then just tighten it up. Um, a lot of colorists get footage and they have no, they don't have any, they don't have any data about it at all. Um, you know, so we try to keep as much data on it and, and connected to it. Um, but, uh, but a lot of times you just have to figure it out. And, and the bottom line, if you talk to a, a good colorist, they're like, well, my job is just to make it look good. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to figure out what that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, work it, I'm going to work out the transform. Remember that when you open up a color window, uh, you know, you have all the tools to convert just without without any conversion, you have all the tools to get there. But but they um uh but it it makes it a lot easier when you get that initial uh, conversion correct. Go ahead, Bill. Hundred percent what Alex said. And please go back to the DIT or or the client or whomever and tell them do not separate sidecar files that contain all the metadata from the actual clip. There's nothing that's more frustrating than knowing that a modern camera shot the file, but just because somebody copied it imprecisely or it just drag the files in the finder or something like that that got separated from all that incredibly valuable metadata. It is so frustrating as an editor. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I remember metadata can only take you part of the way there because there's a you know so many variables. You know, each lens has a different color uh, 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 profile. Each you know they may be using a filter on the lens that may not get recorded, of course, in the metadata. And so go back and look at uh, if there are if you had a good first assistant cameraman or a second assistant camera person there, a lot of times they'll take notes and put them on the camera reports. And uh, so that's a good thing to pay attention to figure out exactly what they did to get the image that they have. And then you can be able to take that into account when you're doing your color correction. Yeah, I mean, exactly what um, what Courtney said. Camera reports are really important. <laughs> you know, so the people think, oh, it's all on the camera. And we, we hear a lot of people talk about, well, we can just keep all that information on the camera. We don't need to have camera reports. And that is a fool's errand. Like it, it is like you, you definitely on top of keeping all that in the camera, you want someone writing it down, te preferably in an iPad, <laughs> not on paper, but at least on paper, what was this going on? And some of those are pretty static. So what camera you used, what the you know, what it was set to, you know, whether it's S log or something else. So you, you need to, but, but it's, yeah, it's really important to keep writing things down. Trust, but verify. Yeah. Go ahead, Marty. Yeah. So this was for, you know, these clips came from a small nonprofit. They, you know, I just got a, a list of files to edit into promo pieces and, you know, it's just possible that they were poorly shot, but, you know, uh, there was a big bright window, which is all blown out and clipped. And then there were some really dark darks there. And yeah, it, um, just wondering if, if I were to say a clip, uh, identify a clip and then just try different color spaces, you know, uh, would that make a difference? Yeah, and, that's, I mean, that's the easiest way to start doing it is going, 
I'm going to take, you know, I think that this is what it is. And you go into something like, um, again, like Resolve and you go, I'm going from this to this, or I'm going from this to this, and just take a look at it and see if it gets to a point where you're happy with it. Um, and then you can go in and keep on making more more corrections. But the other thing I would do is, I, I know that I'm, Charles may not appreciate me saying this, but I would reach out, to, if you have a real, don't reach out to Charles for everything, but he's on Discord. And if you, if you really have a tr- problem, you know, taking a clip and just sending it to Charles, and having him look at it, he's kind of our, our in the community uh, expert, you know, and he might be able to tell you, give you a couple tips on the way there. But just don't do it too often because he's a busy guy and he's really expensive <laughs> compared to, you know, other things. So his time is, 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 is an expensive thing. So, but, um, but, but definitely uh, take advantage of that when you can. That's what our community is for. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. Alex, you mentioned that there are dedicated record-only trucks. Would they be full-size trucks or smaller trailers akin to the Doug Johnson Productions trailer? And he's got the link there. I saw Doug Johnson, and it was so great to see him. I saw him at NAB. He's, he, he just wandered by. I was in the middle of something else. I couldn't talk to him very long, but it was great to see him. Um, the uh, It's a little, it's a smaller trailer, the one that I've seen. And I realized that when I, the place that I worked where that was sitting, uh, we weren't allowed to have phones. So I, didn't have, I don't have any pictures. I was like, why don't I have any pictures of that? Because I usually take pictures of everything. I wasn't allowed to. So anyway, so, um, so anyway, the... Uh, uh, they're smaller trailers. They're they're not. They're probably smaller than what Doug has. Um, so they're not. Um, they're not full trailers. They're like ones you'd see pulled behind. Or at least that's the one that I saw. But it was probably a fifteen foot fifteen foot trailer. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. What's the growing role of AI in content moderation? I think we're going to see an explosion in content moderation of looking at, you know, it can definitely look through a lot of things. A lot of times right now with algorithms, they're pretty dumb. You know, they they are look for this word, look for these things. Um, this is going to look for, you know, bad intent, you know, and so, uh, and, and so it's going to get pretty, I, the era, I will make this bold, bold statement, but the era of trolling is probably getting, we're going to have another problem, which is that people can't get their word, can't. Um, legitimately protest online, but the era of trolling has maybe um, a couple a couple of years left, ten years left max before it's just impossible to troll somebody online because the AI is going to be able to see through everything and they'll just cut you out. You know, like and especially as we start to get as we're starting to tighten up other things. So yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, they're already using um, AI-based filtration, uh, especially for the image generating from text to image generating that, you know, filter out nudity, filter out anything that would, um, uh, that is against their uh, terms of service. Uh, and it's becoming better and better. Yeah. You know? and, and if it can look at the language and the image of the both, then you, it's just going to get better and better. There's a lot of things also. I mean, there's bullying, there's, there's, there's trolling and there's bullying. Bullying can be a, a group behavior. And um, a lot of times, a lot of the algorithms can already see that. Um, and so, you know, they can start to see that these three or four people are acting together. These things are acting, you know, this is, this is, they're doing this. This is a subtle thing. This is a subtle thing. And so those kinds of things are going to be going to start tightening that whole process of being just being difficult. <laughs> you know, like, so, so that's going to be the thing that's going to be hard to, for people to get over. And I don't, have a solution for that. And I don't know why I just lost my camera. All right. Uh, next question. Next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. And Douglas says, I recently switched to Verizon Wireless from AT&T and have been impressed so far with the coverage and performance, especially going to an iPhone 14 Plus from a 6S Plus. Would a dedicated mobile hotspot be an improvement over the iOS hotspot capability? 
And Alex, are you still with us? Yeah, can you just go, go ahead and run while I'm while I'm figuring this out? Yeah, absolutely no problem. Let's see. We're starting with Jason Bash here. Jason? Um, I would say ostensibly no. So a wireless hotspot is three things. It's a cellular gateway, it's a router, and it's a wireless access point. And all three of those things are built by the lowest bidder and then combined into one box, and that's what a wireless hotspot is. I think as a rule... Uh, Apple does this very, very, very well. And the real performance gain that you're seeing is the sixth generation jump in iPhones, um, not really anything special that Verizon or AT&T was or wasn't doing. George Kennedy. So to really get the benefits of a hotspot, you probably need to move to something like Peplink. But even then, um, you find that AT&T cars, like I have, I took two AT&T cars with me to Vegas and pretty much I was still getting 10 up, 10 down on my um on my pep link. So it all depends on the carrier. But um I think these carriers are still the wild, wild west. And I, I'm hoping it will get through connections around the the globe wherever we go soon, sooner than later. Thank you. And it is the top of the hour, and I'm keeping my eyes over there on the square. Hopefully, Alex will be back in just a second. But uh, at the top of the hour here, it is time to talk about our NAB coverage. And boy, I was so impressed with our field crews at NAB. Uh, when we have a lot of them there. I'm so excited to see the panel here. And I'm just going to give you a quiet office hours round of applause. The amazing work done on the floor of NAB's uh, huge thing. And look at all these fabulous people. There was a village behind the scenes. We had, uh, I think, 50-plus people working on this to bring this to you over the course of the year. Uh, and our field reporters were up front doing an amazing job of kind of giving you a you-are-there experience of NAB. But behind the scenes, a lot of the people you are seeing here were back, connected by via comms, literally a, a, a I wish you'd had a chance to hear some of the back-channel discussions because there was so much complexity in where are we going next, who's going to be there, who's ready, who's not ready, and then, of course, integrating the office hours regular panel so we could do the best job we could of getting your questions to the show floor. And I thought it worked marvelously. So I don't. I guess Alex is still trying to reboot here. Um, who to go to first either. Uh, just because you're, I think, the farthest... Well, Ronnie and, and Felipe have the uh, pin for the farthest distance they came in to work on this. So I think I'll start with uh, Felipe. What what was your experience like? Well, nothing that I expected, really. Uh, I expected to be able to walk the show floor and see the booths. But, you know, there was so much work in the back end that we, we were just press room and go on camera on the, on the show floor and then press room and get on camera so but it was amazing and i i got to actually stay a couple of extra days in vegas uh, i got to hang out with a few people with photo joseph with mr alex tech we went uh, to the desert to the red rock yesterday um i made some shots and also in the evening here in the strip that's amazing. excellent excellent i see alex is back alex are you back in in with us again yeah, yeah go, go. keep it going Felipe. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, thank you guys for having me on That's Office great. Hours. Uh, it was it was fantastic, and of course the HDR live streaming with five point one surround sound that was that, that was next level cool. 
uh, and we we got a lot of attention. We were like a big train it was like moving through the train. corridor. It wasn't, it wasn't like a person wandering through. There was like, a, and people were just like, what are they doing? And you could see people trying to figure out how to put it all together. And they so slowly realized that we were doing something just outrageous, but it took a little bit of, a little bit of time. But yeah, it was, I will say that it was, um, uh, what I was, one of the things that I was left with, we'll probably talk about this later. I, I didn't like speaking very much, um, as I said before. So, um, so I, I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy the speaking process, and I got myself into too many of them. And I hadn't done it for years, and uh, I, I think I found myself frustrated with the fact that there were so many cool people from office hours that were there, and I was, you know, doing speaking. Now, I will say that I met some new people in the speaking. I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I met those folks, and it was worth that. That part was worth it. Uh, but I would love to figure out a way to do that without having to actually, you know. Um, <laughs> be not not doing what what we're doing to to philippe's um uh uh point is i found myself you know between speaking and trying to see a little bit of the booth i just didn't see enough of people so i've kind of decided that if i go to these again if i decide that i'm going with oh and we are covering it i'm not going to do anything else <laughs> like that's going to be what i do is just hang out with everybody um and make that happen so uh, yeah go ahead jeffrey so yeah, that's the one thing I've always learned on doing these trade shows is that you either got to dedicate yourself to one thing or the other. You can't, because you could be in the middle of the show floor and all of a sudden one of the sessions you really want to see is going to happen. So you got to be running all the all the way over to where a room is. And, and it, I did do that once and that's only because a friend of mine was speaking, but then uh, something happened to them and that, that session didn't happen, which is really sad. And, and I found out that he, uh, mm -hmm. he is okay mm -hmm. and he had a problem he had a he had mm -hmm. a twisted mm -hmm. ankle or something like that so uh but uh I, i'll show you a couple quick things on uh, basically how i covered it i had three three cameras on my shoot the first one i had the rs uh the insta 360 rs uh, uh one the second one i was using an iphone and those were simply for shorts and that was the focus was doing more shorts than anything. And then of course I had my uh, my DJI uh, Pocket 2, which I'm gonna show you right here. So then the, the reason why I did that is to show you these little, uh, basically hyperlapses and, and time lapses. So this is basically the central floor and it's going, uh, I just walked around. I did this last year too, it was great. And I did this at NAMM. It's a great way to see what's going on in a very short form. And uh, that was that's just basically a lot of fun. The other thing I'm going to show you is the 360 because I was doing a lot of stuff not only he, uh, at uh, NEB at NAM, mm -hmm. uh, at yeah NAM. Uh, this is uh, me playing some of the drum sets that uh, so I put that 360 camera right overhead, and as you can see, it gets a great shot of that. And then uh, this one. This one right here is an interview I did with a company called Beat Machine. They're making an arcade machine for uh, doing beats, which mm -hmm. this is like a $15,000 device, so you don't get it uh, right away. And then the last day of NAB, I interviewed Francis from Adobe on Premiere Pro. And the best part is we have this camera sitting right in the middle of us. So we're looking eye to eye, but that camera, I'm really hoping, is getting eye view of the of francis and of me and because you can really get cross-eyed starting to look at that and i started thinking of ways to actually put a teleprompter in between both of us so I, this would work a little bit better but the best part about these shots is i can i can go straight up or i can do something like this and have a lot of fun with the angles like i said i did that at ces and a lot of my footage really great mm -hmm. um so i'm expecting i learned a lot so i i was i'm able to 
reposition the camera in the mm -hmm. right way. And of course, the audio is coming from a wireless uh, microphone. So that was great too. And go ahead, George. So lots to learn from, from this trip out. Obviously, I didn't bring in my own gear this year. Um, pretty much I went to do the two hours for office hours. What I find helps a lot with the coverage for, for Monday that I did is I went on Sunday, I went out to walk the floor and kind of pinpointed places that I wanted to go to. I know that wasn't really the objective, but I find even though Alex likes to walk about, it was easy for me to go to the booths on Sunday and then kind of not interview someone in some of the booths, but already target things that I saw and actually go talk about those things when I went to the booths. So that helps a lot without, because what I find that some, when you try to interview folks, some folks kind of drag on and drag on. I know we don't really want- You're welcome, yeah. welcome to why Alex doesn't interview yeah. people. <laughs> right, so what even with these two devices that I had from OWC, I didn't want to interview interview them about it. I already knew right. about it, so I just went to the booth and picked it up and said, hey guys, I need five minutes of this space. And I just took it over for a minute. Um, great conversations with um, the folks from Adobe. Um, I know there's a lot going on with, with, with Premiere Pro and so forth. A lot of conversations with Dave Hem Hemley and those guys. I got to sit down to um, 13 minutes with Black Magic on Wednesday. So that was just audio. I'm going to share that probably over the weekend. But um, overall, good show. Um, really enjoyed meeting all the folks from Office Hours. So good experience. Yeah, go ahead, Marty. So, yeah, working a show is so different than attending a show. And it's just your attention is just so differently. But so from a panelist perspective and a viewer's perspective, um, I really appreciated the way that the crews were able to move around. And, and as George was just saying, some were focused on um, product discoveries and some were doing interviews. And I, and I can see talking uh, over the next year about ways to make that more efficient and arrange for things in advance. But I, I got to say, watching you walk around the floor during the 5.1 demo was just so cool to see. And, and could, again, that, that gave you, it gave you kind of a hint of my style of covering. The thing, which is it, very it, different. Did, it did. Yeah. And that was different from anybody, what anybody else was doing because you were moving around so much. Right. And um, just being able to experience walking down the aisles and seeing all the booths and things. I can see incorporating that, you know, several of those kinds of segments during the event, just just giving somebody the experience of walking the floor and looking around and peeking in at different boots in between other things. I, I think that was a great experience. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the thing that I enjoyed the most was trying to give people a sense that you're walking with me to another booth. So I just have it like you're a little behind me and I'm talking to you and we're just wandering around. And, and you know, I'm, I, you know I, I just am looking at all the cool things and I have to admit my, my ADD personality uh, does well there, you know, because I just go, oh, look at the, look at the, look at the shiny thing. Look, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Then we're going to bring you to different things. I, again, unless I put someone on the spot at a booth, I almost never set up interviews because I just don't find myself ever wanting to watch them. So when people do those interviews, I just, I find that I kind of tune out pretty quickly unless it's really, um, you know, just because I, I just feel like they, a lot of vendors can't get to the point you know, very easily. And so I, um, and I, and, and I have that problem. <laughs> if you have noticed me around me a lot, I have, I have a problem with that in general. Um, but, but the, uh, uh, but I think that um, uh, I, you know, I really thought about that process. You know, it's really, it was, 
so I believe that NAB was just a massive success, you know, like it was a massive success in us looking at different ways of covering, you know, my style and shorts and the, you know, the, you know, the more of a stand up at each area style. And I think all of them have value. And I think that what we want to do is figure out how we mix those ingredients together for one show. So we are doing the interviews at some of the points we, what we're missing right now is a table, you know, to bring people to. And that's what I'm working on right now is, what we want to do is bring some vendors to us and then and then have some where we're doing stand-ups like everybody did for the for the two hours or the four hours that we did and then and in another crew if we can wandering around you know like going from you know place to place and if we can mix those three things together uh, i think that we end up with some coverage that like we've never seen before which i think would be really interesting yeah go ahead john yeah, I think my very favorite moment was George was at the Sonnet booth and he just picked up one of the devices there and just talked about it. There was no one from the booth there. It just felt yeah. super intimate. And that's where I think the the value that Office Hours really adds is it felt intimate, even though there were 70 people working on it. And that's mm -hmm. really the work of Brian and, and uh, Josh, especially coordinating everyone. Um, I had the pleasure of leading the research team where I basically made a fancy spreadsheet, but we had Bobby and Paul and Joaquin, and they were fantastic just making sure information was getting where it needed to be um, without any complaints. And we didn't really know what we were doing the first day, and everyone just found a, a thing to work on, and we could all focus on our, our single vertical. So um, Bobby did a lot of the research in advance because he couldn't be there during the show. Um, Paul was taking notes of every single vendor we visited and who we talked to for the credits. And Joaquin was every single vendor. He was going and pulling graphics. And I was sending information and bullet points to the panel so that they could follow along as well. Um, and all of us just focused on one little thing. And it felt a lot more seamless than trying scattershot to do everything all at once. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I'm going to say what everyone else has, which is just it was so wonderful to see all of you and uh, prior commitments made it impossible for me to show, you know, be longer than the day. But yeah, Brian Shand did an amazing job. Everybody did an incredible job. And incidentally, I think Brian would be on the show today right now, but he's cutting this show. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just incredible teamwork. Kudos to the to the folks that are Brian and all the team on the back end that you don't see on the camera, you don't see on the panel and put an enormous amount of work into making all of this work into an area that we just don't know how to, like we got there, the first day was pretty rough because we're figuring it all out and everybody's kind of sorting things out. And Greg, by the way, who's not here either, um, he, he just really had to, he, he became the, the, I think he, the impromptu producer. Uh, so, so um, he just, uh, and we just kind of, and it's mostly because he was there and he was willing and he was able to, and like he has a, some background in being able to start managing, but he was able to kind of herd the whole thing together. And by, I think by the last day, it was kind of, it was kind of cooking, you know, like we were, we were kind of figuring out. And the goal is, is to get to the next one where we're just, we just start cooking rather than, rather than finding our way there. But I think that that, and that's exactly, you know, what we, the best way to find all these sharp edges is just to do it. Go at Javier. Yeah, it, it was a, a great experience. I had a, a really, really great time, uh, especially uh, when we were like with having two talents on, on, on camera, like with me and Felipe, with me and Alex, uh, what Jeffrey was doing in their units. Uh, I think that worked really well. It was like a very like going with a friend to this expo. So that that was that was awesome. Uh, of course, the rooms for improvement. There's we have to work some things for workflow or maybe equipment that we can go run and gun easier. But I really like that everything that happened. Uh, it uh, 
turn into a creative and philosophical discussion. Like even the the MBO thing, we were on the field. Like no, I think we should do it like this. I think we'll be better if we try like this. Okay, let's try this other thing. So it's be like us, not only like having fun, but geeking out. And I, I learned a lot of uh, of things. And and my brain is like, I can do these five different things. And I think it's gonna go just like up from here. So it was yeah. a great. Everyone did a great job, and I really, I was really happy to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it, it was, I mean, that's what, again, what I said, what I was really left with is I was having so much fun hanging out with everyone from office hours and, and being in the press room and us hanging out together and then us going out and, you know, and, and shooting and coming back and seeing everybody there that I didn't want to do anything else like during the day. Like I just felt like I was just like, oh, I just really want to just hang out with this crew. And that's what I'm planning to do as we go forward. But, um, but it was, uh, it was really just such a great team that, that came together. We just really had, and it was the mixture of folks that were on the team that were off the team we had you know we were figuring out all this five one stuff i don't know if mickey actually slept last week um, because there was all these hey let's do a test and can mickey do this can mickey do that and mickey is very quietly telling us and then and i thought he was pretty gracious in the fact that we rerouted the fs um so the first half of the 5.1 was wrong because kevin and i were trying to do something and we we screwed it up so anyway so um so uh so mickey <laughs> mickey was relatively kind about the fact that he got it working again for us um anyway uh, go ahead uh sky well definitely a global community that mickey's in, in yeah. manila taking care of this and in the background and making this the surround sound work but i love the global community concept of javier and felipe teaming up together mm -hmm. and what i appreciated about observing the teams was when george and Jeff got together and then they had a camera operator. That's kind of the perfect team because both of uh, George and Jeff have presentation experience. They also have a lot of passion about this, this vertical of right. all of these different technologies. So it was just fun to see them hand off back and forth and sometimes become the, the audio person, sometimes become the interviewer. So that was just a evolution of something happening in in the moment it was just wonderful experience from somebody who's been to that floor over a, you know a couple decades right. uh i i really missed it but you helped me you know i could feel it thank you okay. yeah go ahead george so i just wanted to say i don't generally come on office hours for to 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 get kudos from peers outside of of what we do but it definitely was um nice so i was outside the hall talking to some dc friends and suddenly someone walked up to me and said hey i just wanted to say hi to you i'm eric this is one of the producers that is normally on the panel in the back end he said i, I really want to thank you for answering my questions on office hours so it's great to see someone just you know tap you and said hey you know i just want to say thanks for answering my question in office hours i think uh Power to the office hours. Yeah, yeah. We did have people yelling out, we love office hours, like while we're walking down the down the thing. You know, so there was definitely, you, you realize how many people are watching this. Maybe not every day. Maybe they're not going to the panel, but they are a lot of people, uh, you know, um, re you know, responding. We could hear them yelling while we were walking through the, through the, um, the central hall. Go ahead, Ronnie. Well, I won't repeat uh, what's been said about, uh, about the, the things. Um, but one thing I agree with Sky about uh, having have a, several on-camera talents doing the interviews and and doing the speech because every one of us has our own kind of things that we love more and know mm -hmm. more about and having having all these guys moving together uh, is is really cool and moving together. Um, I did a, I did a check on my phone how many steps I've moved uh, during NAM and NAB 
and it's totaling to two entire marathons. Yeah, <laughs> it was busy. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Two super quick. Raj in the back end kept me sane. Thank you, Raj. Without you, this would have been a disaster. And Mickey always, Mickey saved my tail end more times than I can tell you. The people behind the scenes in this are just amazing. And I'm going to shut up and let Kirsten go. And, and what I will say is that the 5.1 would not have happened without Mickey. I mean, I have no idea how it actually worked. I was like, well, I'll plug all this stuff in and then I'll send it there. And I gave, you know, we got Mickey a, a, back, a, a, a Mac Mini and he did put magical um, magical things into it. Like I think there was a, there was a, a, a dragon's tooth and a, and a rabbit tail and a thing and a thing and a thing. And then we sent uh, uh, footage. We're going to have to do a whole behind the scenes of how we actually did that because we're going to be doing R&D for it all the way up to getting ready for Cinegear. Uh, go ahead, Kirsten. Yeah, uh, this is just a little backend voice here from my side. So I'm part of the backend team from the technical so director good. So perspective good to have you on, and so on. So we really have implemented such a lively concept, which could have never been planned in advance because it really was happening in the moment. And so there was really, to me, <laughs> there was really this life feeling like I would be walking together with uh, Javier and Felipe through the you know, on the show floor. And then uh, it really felt like being part of the conversation there. So that was, yeah, that was by design. And it's so great that it turned out like that. And also talking a bit from the back end. So I know in, in total, we've been from 11 countries, the whole crew. And yeah, and also, you know, the daily show we're doing here, other shows we are doing, you know, all these experiences come together and we are such a diverse crew as well of professionals doing this every day and people who are doing this just for for interest and so on. So yeah, really great. And also the way we are backing each other up because I also had a backup TD. So if my internet would have gone down or whatever, you know, this was all prepared. So, and it's always like, there is no technical problem. There's just the solution that has to just come up in the moment. You know, I, I, I really, uh, I got a bunch of comments afterwards about that. And, and I think that that was, I think that there were a lot of things last year that we did really, really well. And I think that there were some things I want to bring back from the stuff that we did last year. Um, but I, my goal was really to try to find that life, you know, that life in the coverage where we're going to be, it's going to be a little chaotic. It's going to be a little, you know, but it's, but we're still going to put something out and you're going to feel like you were there and it's not going to be perfect it's going to be we're going to bounce around and i think that we i think we we achieved that and now the question now the thing is to figure out you know how what what are what are the parts of the ones we've done in the past but do we add back in so what ingredients do we add back into that to tighten it up a little bit but not lose that live feeling of we're just wandering around yeah go ahead Philippe. well uh, considering all the challenges that we had i absolutely love a couple of things that i loved was tagging team team with javier mm -hmm. uh i mean I don't I like know. Tag team. I, I tag team with Javier as well, and I enjoy it. So you know how good it is, right? It's good, so it, it, really it was pretty awesome. Um, the other thing is, it was pure improvisation, at least from my side uh, and Javier's side. We're like, we are walking around. We have absolutely no idea where we're going. And we get there and have absolutely no idea what's happening on the booth, at the booth. <clears throat> and talking to, to the vendor real quick, right before we go live, just to have an idea what what they have there. Uh, and also, like Kirsten mentioned, uh, we were backing up each other as well. There were a couple of moments that I couldn't be on the show floor. I needed to go back to, to the press room to, to solve a thing for a client. Um, 
Javier was there to continue the Team One uh, coverage. So there are so many good things that we've seen about this. And well, because we were also improvising, we were able to throw in a couple of jokes here and there as well. So yeah. that, that 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 was interesting. We we spoke a little bit in Spanish and Portuguese, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we have a lot of questions coming in. So for the panelists, we'll we'll keep it pretty tight, um, but we'll uh, try to get through those. Uh, ne- uh, let's go to the first question. Guy Cochran, Seattle, Washington. Would showing the Zoom panel at the other end of the conversation to an exhibitor on the show floor make them stand a little taller and up their delivery? Go ahead, Dave. My feeling on that is that we had a focus on the show floor and the field team and the live feel of being in the place and talking to um, people in their booths and that is nice, but it kind of takes away from what we were trying to do. Not that it's a bad thing because we're going to mix it up until we get it right. Right. The balance isn't there yet. And I think your idea is interesting. And this is something I've been looking at too, is if they're aware that there's a big audience at that camera, they are going to stand taller. They're going to address us a little differently. And they're going to be aware that there are more people than just the interviewer or the field host talking mm-hmm. to them. And I think that's going to get better. I like hey. what was said earlier about the best friend approach, that we're wandering the the thing and we're talking to our best friend, which is the camera. Mm-hmm. And I think that that panel thing is helpful there too. Yeah, I, I, I uh, again, I think that a lot of, we did see, I think a lot of people ran into some of the rocks that that I've run into in the past of, dealing with the booths and trying to schedule people and oh this person isn't press ready and this person isn't this and isn't that and now you can i think people started to see why alex just ignores all of that and just wanders around and talks and grabs onto the port like if there's a person with that logo on their shirt i just grab onto them and start giving them a mic and and i don't ask for permission i just you know and i don't even ask for forgiveness <laughs> so i just move on you know just grab onto somebody and start talking to them um but i i think that that is uh that i think that's a that's the challenge with a lot of those things there okay i go jeffrey so having the panel in front, because we were trying to explain to them what was going on, and when they realized that there was there was a whole other group that was also looking and asking questions, they got very impressed. So having something, even if it's like a small phone or tablet that's right underneath the camera, could be helpful. It could also be a little bit distracting because they might be looking at the panel, panel instead of trying to look at the camera like we always try to do. The other thing that I was thinking of was with the questions, because with the IFB, and there was talk about also giving the guests the IFB, but that became very problematic because we were using mostly our cell phones to uh, to get the uh, feed in. And when you get into the middle of Central Hall, it's, it's, it's like that. That's That's how you go. So the one thing that would be really nice is if with that panel, since Zoom does do some sort of closed captioning, to be able to have the closed mm-hmm. caption. So when somebody does ask a question, we can read it rather than listen to it mm-hmm. and probably get a better answer. Good morning. Yeah, I think that's a great, you know, people feed off of the audience. And when you see that there's an audience in front of you and what they're doing um, can really, you know, help you get into the moment and, and engage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good idea. What it would take, though, is another person with a uh, hand holding yeah, a large it's- tablet that has a decent signal to receive uh, and it, it may not even be possible. Yeah, go, go. 
The other thing that was amazing to me is the two-person, when we had two uh, hosts, so to speak, on the show floor, the ability of them to talk to each other and to us as the audience really was compelling for me because it felt like some of the trade shows I've gone to with a knowledgeable friend. The two of them talking was something I watched happening, and I got a lot of information from them discussing things, even without anybody else involved. Yeah, and and I think that... Um, so. One of the things we're thinking that, that we're thinking about, we, we're de- we were devising, we were looking at going to pro lighting and sound, um, and we just didn't, didn't end up going. So one of the things we're devising is if we can get a table, if we can get a space in the in the place, what we're looking at is having that table be a place where we have somebody, but when we bring them in, they're talking to the panel. So that there's a big monitor in front of them, and the panel is there, and we bring them in, and there's nobody for them to look at. There's no other host. It's literally like if Electrosonics came, they would just sit next to... Uh, they would sit next to the, um, uh, they would sit in front of everybody and just talk to the panel. Like that's what they hear. That's what they see. That's what they're talking to. And so that's where I'm looking at putting the panel view um, on the, it's, I think even at the five, one level, it, we're about as far as we can go with the number of people that can wander through the thing without really slowing down that kind of live feel. So I think that we're probably not going to add more um, detail to the, to the room. And, a lot of it, what we probably will add, which we I used to have in the past, is to explain, have someone, we had a runner go ahead to the booth and go, we got someone coming. Just remember that that represents 200 people, like that person coming. And if you don't have somebody to talk to them in the next minute, you know, or the next five minutes, they're just going to make it up. You know, like, you know, and, and we found that people sorted that out really quickly, you know. And so, so um, you know, we, we tend to not try to play by any rules we just go we're coming through or we'll just pass you and go somewhere else it's, it's up to you so um and i know that's kind of a brutal way to do it but it's just a lot easier for our viewers and for us to do it that way um and it and usually we're providing a lot of exposure that way so um i think that it would be i think we're going to try to keep i think you, you could see by keeping the kits light how much more we could cover um, and so I think that what you're going to find is that if anything, we're going to make the kit lighter. Like one of the things I noticed uh, when we did the 5.1, we had a tripod, which is what we had to have in that moment. But we're going to have a monopod for that or even a over the head or we're just going to handhold for an hour, you know, which I've done in the past. And so we're going to do something that is not probably a, um, you know, and the other thing I'm trying to do is with two kits, we can give people a rest, you know, so they can, you know, move and, and so on and so forth. So I think that we, we can, we're going to try to go lighter with that kit rather than heavier. Um, next question. Tlaloc Lopez-Waterman, Salisbury, Maryland. Is there a practice that hosts could employ to help with the handoff to the field team that could smooth over the fact that there is latency? Go ahead, Philippe. Well, th- there are a couple of things that I, that come to my mind that uh, would be helpful. First of all is to have those questions, knowing if there, there is question or not. Because if there is question, then the host, uh, the, the field person says, Okay, let's go for questions because they know that there are questions. But if they also know that there are no questions, they say, okay, that's it from my side. Thank you. And it's with you, like a person on, on, on office hours. Then you don't need to go back and forth. You just hand it over, get the feed from them, and, and it's in the panel. That would have been easier from my perspective as we were there. Um, the other thing is... Rece- uh, we were getting programmed through Unity, but we uh, everyone on the panel was listening to us through Zoom. I think having one of them only to be used, like let's say we're mm-hmm. talking just with the Zoom, would have been easier because then we are not. Um, we, you, on the Zoom, 
wouldn't have the latency from the live view to get to you. I don't right. know if I yep. if it makes sense. Yeah, that's sense. actually why. So in a lot of insert studios, the ear, the in ear is they used to use POTS lines, plain old television, like literally hard lines, and the and the person on the the people that are listening are going only they're only hearing themselves through that audio channel and they're actually talking and even though the it's a little weird because the the video can be a little behind but that's how they've handled satellite for a long time is that you keep people the the, the people talking are talking um on a um on a line so we would put them both on unity and then it will come to us a little bit slower but it will but they'll hear you in real time and you'll hear them in real time and that's a you know so we'll work on building a more complex pipeline that allows for that and we'll test it and see how that how that actually looks there's there's some other things that we're looking at as far as lowering the overall latency too that was something that i knew about on the live view and i think that i didn't communicate well with the live view is you can turn that down too so instead of having three or four seconds you can turn it down to one second you know or you know and and it will be a lot a lot faster yeah go ahead ronnie yeah, exactly what you you just said. Uh, reducing the, the the latency and the IFP on the on live view would be really good. Another thing that we have discussed and also in the RFI is to have, uh, as we talked about before, have have the questions pop up on an iPad or similar, so that uh, both the guest and the on camera talent can can see the questions when they are popping in. Uh, that will prevent us for having go to go back to the panel to have a discussion if there are we don't have to ask are there any more questions we just see that yeah and, and i think that the, where that becomes useful is having one or the other of the two people that are in front of camera be the person managing questions and so they can open up the phone and just have a phone and look down it doesn't even have to be an ipad the the again i this is what happens when I had to speak so much that, that I didn't get a lot of the stuff over to the teams. But there's another view of Mukana that is just for the iPhone. <laughs> so so you, can just, you can just look at it and see the questions, reorder them, so on and so forth. And so we can have one person going, hey, we've got another question in from the audience. So when we take questions from the, the idea would be that we take questions from the audience from the phone. We take questions from the panel from the panel. You know, those are the kind of things that we can go back and forth on. And it may be one of those things that oftentimes the panel is really focused on these moments where we bring people to a table and talk to them. I'm going to see if we can get that for Cinegear. I know we can get it for Seagraph because I know people who know people. So, um, so we'll keep on moving, you know, towards that towards that process. Um, yeah, and and I think that it's the, the latency is something we have to sort out. Um, we are looking at using for that that desktop experience. Uh, using a WebRTC solution that will allow us to either Zoom or other things that will allow us to get a really, really high, you know, um, uh, two-way connection. Uh, so it'll either be Zoom or or there's some other hardware that we may use that would allow us to do stuff like 10-bit 5.1 from a desk and that kind of thing. Uh, next question. Bo Cordell of Charleston, South Carolina. Would it be possible to collect and vote on questions for vendor booths before the crew gets to the booth? It'd be great if they could show up and have questions ready to go. Go ahead, Sky. All things are possible with time and resources, and I know we have done that in the past. And it, it, it to interview and ask questions of our community of what is it that we want to understand and know better. Uh, I know Josh put a lot of effort into that in the past, but we had a lot more uh, people behind the scenes. And as as Brian was the head cat herder, it was amazing the choices that he had to make to to bring the questions together. And again, I observed that. Jeffrey, because he's done a lot of these interviews, was bringing those questions to the fore and George, of course. But I think Javier, his his disarming smile, I think it just brought out the, the, the joy from the different people that were doing it, exhibiting. And then Felipe just said, 
what do you got? Tell me, tell me the new thing. And so I learned a lot, no, no matter what the uh, people, but I, I did see you were kind of on the spot at one point, uh, Bo, and I, I see what you're saying. All things are possible with time and money, maybe next time. Kirsten? Yeah, in the planning phase two months ago, I was quite defensive about this approach. And I was always like, we need to have this list and we want to vote on it and, and all these things. Because I also knew it from the experience from IBC where we, we did more of that. And however, we had, we usually have then very good quality questions, but we can't get to them because of the flow of the show, because we then need to move on. So now in, in with NAB this time, we had a different concept. It's like to invite them in for a second hour. And then we really have time to go through all the quality questions and really dive deeper into all the stuff. Yeah. One of the things that I definitely felt like is that I, what I, at least my opinion right now, and we can keep on deciding what, what that is, is that I want to be kind of showing you something and exploring it, not doing a big interview. And the reason I don't want to do that is because, like Kirsten said, I can bring you in for a second hour. We have a tool for that. You know, and so we have an, we have a platform for that thing. So what I want to do is give people a taste of what we saw there, get them a little excited about it. We're not going to try to get every question answered. We're going to try to ask a few questions, understand what we're looking at, and then invite them to be on, on our show so that they can, you know, you know, and I think that this is an introduction to it, not so much a an in-depth interview. So, um, but I do agree that we could, you know, I, I, I have some ideas which I'll talk about as we keep on moving forward. But, but basically, what I'm thinking about right now for the live is there's three things that that I and people can put in comments or whatever. But there are three things. One is there is a crew that is going to go to X number of booths. They're absolutely going to go to those booths. We're going to tell you ahead of time. And we're going to come to them every half hour. Like just, you know, they're going to go in, they're going to get set up. This might have more. This might have the panel view. This might have, this might be a little bit more of a tank, but they're going to go to each one of these booths. It might be multi-camera, for instance. So these are the kind of things that that crew is going to do. There's another crew that does what I did, which is just is just going to kind of wander around and just show you things. And then there's the desk, you know, the desk where we're going to bring vendors to those things. And if we, if we kind of round robin between those, in the, the two of those, we could, we have time to put up tags and people can ask questions and people can, but the voting will become very important because we're only going to ask three or four questions and move on. We're not going to be exhaustive, but then you, between those things, you just go to the roaming, the roaming crew that's just wandering around looking at things, you know? And so I think that that might be a way that we can kind of um, make this a more interactive thing. And if you start if with those three things, I think we could very comfortably, um, you know, do a whole day, you know, like literally start when the, when the pan, when the expo opens and just go, you know, and, and, and because not, no one crew is being, you know, driven too hard um, to make that actually happen. Javier? Yeah, definitely having um, questions ready would have helped, especially like we were saying, and maybe one, one of the two on the team has, has the questions or at least knowing how many questions to ask to keep the flow going would be great. But also another thing that I think that may help to give this we are remotely going experience would be uh, to have like voting to where do we want to go? So like we have like, okay, so we have to visit, there are like 50 vendors. We can vote on which ones we want and get it, get them up. So when we plan our, uh, our walking, we can know where we, we do it. Uh, in after hours, I think we, Greg and I, we did uh, some of the, uh, that kind of stuff where we were like, telling the people in after hours, where do you want to go? You have any questions for something? And then we planned our route with that in mind. Right. Like uh, someone at like Sky has a question for this vendor and maybe Marty has a question for this other vendor. So we planned our route 
to get to those vendors uh, for the run and gun. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that I was thinking about watching this is that the first day might be all after hours where we're just wandering through, you know, with with phones and just looking at those things. And then the the for the next day, like so we, we kind of figure out what we're looking at, at in after hours. And the next day is a whole day or six hours or four hours of coverage where we're just going to cover, you know, just really blanket it. But we... That's all, because like Cinegiris, Friday is probably not the best day to do an all day kind of thing, but Saturday is. And so then what we do is we, we Friday is us just, everyone just jumping into after hours and, um, and, and looking at those things and then coming and then making the decision of, we kind of shake out what those things are. Um, and maybe we having a place to vote on them. Like we throw what we covered in and people vote on the things that are, that are they're most interested in to, to see. So I think that there's a couple different ways we can, we can do that. Next question. Sky Gleason, Seattle, Washington. Brian Shand, thank you for all your hard work. As executive producer, you had to make creative choices due to the resources available. Can you share some of the creative choices you had to make and why? I don't think Brian's... Brian, Brian's cutting this show because we're all here. <laughs> so so uh, go ahead, Dave, real quick. Yeah, I'm going to channel my best Brian Shand and maybe light a cigarette, maybe. Um, I, uh, I feel the contribution he's made this time is building systems that we're going to use in the future. He's got the master sheet worked as an anticipation of shows like this and how we're going to manage them in the future. He, the research department contributed quite a bit, and this is the thing I think we'll rely on a heck of a lot more. Uh, and he had uh, the opportunity to have Felipe build a pipeline for the edit crew, which made things so much smoother and easier for the crew and a faster response. So Brian's focus was always on logistics, organizing people, and planning for the future outside of what we accomplished today. He saw it as the big experiment, which you've said a lot of, Alex, and this is part of what we've discovered. And one of the things that came out of all this was the NAB discussion after hours became a kind of learning pool where mm -hmm. what was going on on the floor got discussed and we were all learning from each other, things that we didn't know or details about stuff. And that could be like a channel for each camera. Yeah. And then people could just tune in wherever that camera's going. I want to know about that and go to that channel. Yeah, anyway. George. Um, definitely a, a massive shout out to Brian. I know he's in a totally different time zone. We all are in different time zones. And for him to be able to just respond, you know, hours later or maybe sometimes minutes later is a big kudos for him to, to really uh, stepping up and controlling all of this. And by the way, for all the hosts, I, I, I think that Zoom has changed the volume. So just so you know, you guys know, if you're not on, on, uh, everybody's hot today. I had to turn mine down as well. Um, so just everyone take a look, make sure to look at the meter while you're talking. I think that something's changed inside of the zoom infrastructure. Um, and we're all coming in hotter than we were before. Um, but I do agree. I, I think that Brian did an amazing job and he was so calm, <laughs> so calm all the time, just handling all the, all the things that are there and just kind of, um, uh, you know, the, uh, just really just kind of dancing with that. And he was ready to dance with it. He was ready. To, and I think that that's what, you know, we're, we're, there's going to be a point where this is a model that we do. Like we do, this is how we cover a show. And I think that I wanted, I specifically wanted to do damage to, you know, getting too caught up in what we've done in the past and really just start to, you know, like let's just throw a bunch of stuff that direction because we've got a lot of people and let's figure this out. And I think the team, the whole team did just such an amazing job at, at just dancing with all the things that were available and figuring things out that I think no one's really, I mean, I think we're going to settle in over a year into something that is super powerful. And I think that it was, and I think that it, it but I think people like Brian and like 
um, many people on the team, uh, whether it was people offsite, onsite, uh, really made a difference in being willing to just dance with what we had, not where we should be or where we shouldn't be, et cetera. Next question. Greg Gritchmeyer, talking, Topping Virginia. Does office hours have enough horsepower to be able to get vendors to lend us components that we actually walk around the show and build live in after hours? Yes, pre-planned. I'll go ahead, Courtney. I think that's pretty hard because a lot of the time these vendors, the stuff that we want to look at is is new stuff and it's not out yet. And they're going to want to keep that stuff in their booth. They're not going to want to lend it to somebody to put in another booth and it may only be a prototype. So uh, there are companies like uh, CNET used to and Twit used to have a, as Alex described, a desk or a booth in the show itself where they would invite vendors in to premiere their stuff on that show. Uh, that stuff was all scheduled in advance, and the companies were all notified in advance of of that so that they could make sure they have enough personnel. And the problem is on a on a show like Cinegear, uh, which is all spread out over a back lot, security is an issue, and nobody wants to you know to leave your booth unattended is disastrous. And so they may not want to leave that booth or leave that new equipment unattended uh, even for a few moments. Uh, because it it can be a problem, right? So. And I just want—I also want to note that we um, we uh, did have a lot of things that were lent to us to make this happen. So while they weren't brand new components, Electrosonic really tightened the whole thing up. <laughs> you know, like, like having a whole bunch of Electrosonics. So we had we had four mic plugs. We had um, the receivers. We had some IFB stuff that we had a little not not from Electrosonic, but we had just trouble getting some interface stuff working. Um, you know, on our end, but but it was key. I mean, I think that having electrosonic wireless made a massive difference in the audio quality of our show. <laughs> like, you know, being able to just not have to think about wireless anymore. Um, live View, of course, lent us the backpack. Um, Jeff Keithley lent us another Live View, um, you know, along with, so there was a lot of people coming together. And then I, I also want to underline that a lot of individuals, Ronnie, I'm not going to remember everybody, but, um, but, uh, uh, Ronnie and Edwin and, and others brought their own camera systems, had their own mic systems, had their own, um, you know, bits and pieces that they brought in to make this actually work. So those these camera systems were not all something that we just came up with. Um, there was individuals within our group that that um, that that made it happen. And we, people were trading wires and figuring out where mics we can use and figure out what interfaces we can put together. And that'll all get better. Um, but But we also did get some industry support and I expect us to get more. I'm not going to try to my intention is not to make the after hours heavier. So um, when we're talking about after hours, um, you know, we're going to, I want that to be a phone. Like I want that to be something that is, you know, just a phone and us talking. Um, I, you know, maybe putting us, you know, something like a microphone in it or something like that, but I don't want it to become, the, there's a, there needs to be kind of a, we're walking around with the phone and then there's another version where we're doing a show. If we start making one heavy, the other one will suffer. Like, you know, like if, if we make after the after hours heavy, we won't cover as much. And I also, you know, want the expert, you know, folks that have been on the panel that we know what they know and so on and so forth to be the friends in front of the camera during the office hour streams. In after hours, I want any member who is part of our organization that is part of our team that's on on the ground um, to be able to share and be part of that in the in after hours and so those are two different and I, I think it's important that we keep them separate now go ahead Jeffrey yeah and exactly what Courtney said with the uh, products even not the new products but let's say because uh, we, we actually talked about this it would be great if we came with just a backpack and said hey 
well, come down to Sony, can we borrow a camera? Could, but oh, we they, don't. They're kids. Well, yeah, I know. But the the point is that those those products are there for a show. Even yeah. if they work or not, doesn't matter. They need yeah, it we're never in the booth to do that. And that's not going to happen. Definitely. The other the other half is that if you if you say, hey, we're coming to the show, you want that, then that there's a little bit of a, a sticky wicket on that. And then what they expect if is it being a sponsorship or it well, being I just want to be clear you know, just a, everybody we've asked has said yes. And and we had people yeah. like Teradex Teradex wanted to give us stuff and I couldn't coordinate getting it because I had thought about it at the last minute. And so like we're gonna we're looking at like so we're not having we have the we we people are interested in what we're doing. We'll never ask them on site because as everybody said, that that's for people to see. We're never going to do that. We're going to have, we're like, I'm already putting out the request for, uh, for, um, for Cinegear. Uh, no one has said no. <laughs> like, I just haven't asked them because uh, I want to make sure that we're, you know, we have to figure out how to coordinate it and how many things and how many bits and pieces and so on and so forth. And so, um, but, but, but between all those things, I don't think that that's a problem. I just don't want to make it something. The problem is, is just managing all that gear too. And me, me being able to make sure I can get it back to the vendors and we have to figure out a check in and check out system. We did great this time, but I can't, you know, the reason we don't have more stuff is because I was concerned about managing more stuff. And literally I had, um, I, I, I'm a very, because I was traveling by myself, I have one large bag, one carry on one backpack. And everything had to fit into that, and it was airtight. And why I didn't bring a 12K camera, but we will have one. It. So the reason we didn't do 4K 60 for the HDR test was because I didn't have any more bag room, and I wasn't willing to cart it, and I wasn't willing to deal with all the other bits and pieces there. So at Cinegear, we're definitely going to do that. So we'll have bigger cameras. But it, it was literally just a matter of um, I, my whole week before, not my whole week, but all my spare time, you know, after you know, for the week or and a half before was just buying and packing things, you know, to, to bring out. And so, um, and so I think that, um, you know, but I, we, we definitely have enough, I'm, but what I'm saying is for after hours, we're not going to do that for office hours. You're going to absolutely see us do more. One of the things that we saw that I want to do next is with the live view or something else, we will, um, we have four feeds, um, and we're talking to Teradek about either using bolts or Rangers. And so potentially we're going to get two Rangers, which means the live view doesn't have the camera crew can just wander out and the backpack can follow behind or not maybe even go anywhere. And so we're, we're, we're looking at a bunch of options there to make that happen. But live view is already committed to supporting us in the future. Um, and so, um, and, and I think that electrosonic will as well. And so we're, we'll keep on the, the kits are going to get more and more involved. I just, I'm, I'm doing it slowly because I need to see us be successful before I'm willing to, you know, put us out there and ask for more things. And so it's really limited by my willingness to do that. And I have a huge, I have way more confidence now based on what we did at NAB to make more requests for Cinegear, which is much smaller than NAB and much easier to manage. Um, next question. Next one comes from JJ McKinnon, San Rafael. Where is the buy Mickey a coffee link? And I'm just going to raise my hand because I did it first. I bought him a <laughs> coffee already. There you go, Javier. And not only Mickey, I think JJ, Kevin, Brian, Kirsten, I, I think I owe like a gallon of coffee to everyone that's really, really work did a great job. So whoever finds those links, please send them my way. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Talalak Lopez Waterman in Salisbury, Maryland. Are there any edits, pre-records or shorts we can expect to see? Go ahead, Dave. 
I've been saying this uh, repeatedly. We have a mountain of B-roll, so that's going to get assembled together to give people a real overview of the whole thing. Uh, we have a few shorts and and some work left yet to be done. And uh, we have some long form stuff as well, which Alex is going to try and censor. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of work left to be done to just get all the stuff in a form that people can watch. And we'll be putting it all up on YouTube as it comes up. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, and I'll be doing most of the YouTube stuff. We were talking about figuring out schedules. Uh, and we're not going to just throw it all up at once because that uh, that doesn't work really well with the YouTube algorithm. Mm -hmm. But I do want to uh, shout out to Greg. Uh, and he did. He just said, I got to go out there and get shorts. I got to go out there and get after hours. And he was doing a lot. I know uh, I was it Paul that was also doing a lot of after hours stuff on there as well. So I wanted to shout out to those guys because they, they just they became real workhorses on that. Yeah. I don't know what Greg was planning to do at NAB, but it just became his entire existence was working on this. Such a great job. And it was so yeah, it was Greg, a pleasure. Greg, Bob, and Tom, they they, yeah. they were just workhorses in their areas. It was great. Yeah, Greg, Bob, and Tom. And and I, I, a shout out to Bob and Tom. And, and, you know, they were just sitting, you know, making sure that everything was was working. We were getting transfers and they it was a, and it was so important to have them there. You know, and, um, and there's collector's items because if you were there, uh, Bob made some... Uh, patches and some shirts that you know were, were 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 floating around a little bit so it was it was kind of fun but um you know that was a huge thing and yeah and uh, so anyway so i think that that was it was good next question Grant whitehead adelaide australia i really enjoyed the hdr 5.1 test the tech was awesome but the style of walking around was my favorite remote experience alex can you speak to what it takes to make to do that kind of informal format yeah i mean this is that's the style that I kind of, what you saw in that test was the style that, that I'm the most comfortable with. And I can do that for hours. I mean, I've done it for six hours with like a half an hour break in the middle. And, um, and so, uh, and when I kept on saying, Hey, we should just go wander around. I think I, I felt like I needed to show people what I, what I, the way I, the way I cover shows. Um, and so, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the only way to cover the show, but I do think that it's a, it's a piece of the show that we want to have in there. And I, you know, we did it for an hour and I thought it was a lot of fun. We just wander around and we wander into a booth and we wander out of a booth and we, you know, um, and I, and I think that there's something about that. That's a lot of fun. Um, I think that we will do more of that, um, it, you know, as we, as we move forward. But it, the hard part is, is that it is complicated. Like I have been doing NAB for, oh, I, we realized I was having a lunch with a friend that we realized this is our 29th time or 29th year that we've, maybe not 20th night, we missed a couple during COVID, but 29th year that we've been having lunches at NAB. Um, and so I've done it for a long time. There's not, I don't, you know, so when I'm looking at stuff, it's different. It's, it's, it's a really hard thing to do from the if you haven't done NAB for at least ten or fifteen years, um, but but I think that it is uh, we're definitely going to keep on adding that flavor back in um, to 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 what we're doing. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I would agree that I thought it was the best best part in that I saw more of the show in that one hour than I did all the other hours we covered. And I would love to see a dedicated interview space, whether it was a table or booth or whatever, where we do those five to seven minute interviews with vendors. And then you cut to teams who are wandering on really lightweight rigs that are just showing the, that's, the show. That's, that's the goal is that, is that what I, what I, what I want to do is, and when you say five to seven, I'm thinking three to five max, like there, we will not spend more than five minutes at any given vendor as we move forward. Because again, if we, if we want to spend more time with them, we'll bring them to the second hour and talk to them. Um, and so, so the, um, but I think that, you know, the idea 
what I I think that there's a reason for a, to plan something, especially if someone has a big if they're if they've got a jib or they've got a big thing that we have to go to, we can't bring them to us. Then we we if we can bring them to us, we'll bring them to a table and talk to them a little bit. Then we have some things that go out and find things that can't move, and they we pre-plan those to go to those things. And then you have a team that might be anywhere from half to you know, probably half of the show is just wandering around to to your point and just you know, um, showing people just everything um, that we get there. And so it gives the, it gives the more pre-planned stuff more time to set up. Like it just lets the, you know, these are the, these are the tent poles of things that we want to do both in the, at the, at the table and, and out in the field. And in between, we're just making sure that you see the whole expo, you know, and I think that if we do it, you know, for a whole day. And when I look at IBC, my goal is to do it for two days or three days. And again, it takes, if we can get three or three or four crews working and it's, and one of them is very fluid and it's not being planned and the other ones are spending a little more time getting set up, but still not very long. I think we can get into a thing where none of the crews are getting hit that hard, you know, and, and they're able to, um, and they're able to go a lot longer because I think that, you know, when the big thing with these expos and why I don't like the, the idea of shortening them, there's a temptation to want to shorten them up is because I want it to be something that you, you know, we, this is the only time we get all these people together. Let's figure out how we cover as much of it as we possibly can. Um, and I, I did get a lot of response from that that walkthrough beyond the 5.1 NXTR, which was amazing, um, uh, was just the format people seem to really gravitate towards. Um, next question. Greg Greckmeyer in Topping, Virginia. I devoted a lot of unplanned hours to after hours via cell phone. Should we plan for more appropriate kits for the upcoming shows? Go ahead, Ronnie. Well, we had actually two kits. Uh, one was the Sony, uh, which was connected to the Live View, which is the the good good thing. Uh, the other one that was uh, contributing in directly to Zoom was um, just an iPhone 14 uh, with a battery pack with a Rode Go uh, mics and um, uh, actually Apple's original. Uh, Air, air, air plugs to uh, to monitor uh, monitor the return audio from from mm -hmm. Zoom. So it's possible. It's documented also in the RFI documentations. I'm not very committed to that. <laughs> like I didn't. I wasn't very successful in mine. The only thing that was really missing for mine is is I did add a. Um, I didn't get to use it, but I did add a um, uh, the. Um, uh, a mic input, you know, for the one that I didn't end up taking out, but I got it working and I just didn't get it out there, but we'll use it in Cine gear. that I think that might be useful is having a mic that we can hand to somebody with, a, again, probably electrosonic, you know, that, that's there. I couldn't quite, quite get the rig done. I just didn't have enough screws. And so I'm going to be working on it between now and, and, and NAB. We have kind of a slightly larger rig that I can walk around with that's got mic. We used to build these for Facebook. Um, these are um, you know, two electrosonics that go into, into the little, um, like, and Bill has one, I just can't think of the name. You know, ceremonic. Ceremonic, uh, a little ceremonic input, and that goes into the, into the phone, and you have kind of it all in one little rig that you can move around. And so I, I think that I'll probably do more of that, um, but I'm not committed to making those rigs very heavy. Um, I don't want the, after, if, if after hours becomes heavy, it'll exhaust the team. Like, it'll just, the, the, you know, we want it to be something that is very light and easy. Uh, next question. Grant Whitehead, Adelaide, Australia. Up next, pairs of hosts work really well in the field. Oops, no, I'm sorry. That isn't the question. Uh, Guy Cochran, Seattle. For visiting exhibitor booth, is the rolling tank with two cameras and a simple switcher a better viewer experience? I go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think that would, would be nice. That way you could have uh, a larger monitor that the, the person being interviewed could see, and that could be on the tank itself, and you could have... Uh, a post with the camera mounted on it as well. 
And uh, then when you're moving around, it'd be completely mobile and uh, have battery power connected on it so you're not stringing out wires to, to different people that are carrying a backpack and so on. So it would keep it more compact and you could roll around the show, especially a show like Cinegear, which is spread out across a back lot. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily on even ground and uh, um, it is walkable and you're going inside of stages and outside of stages, so you may need to bring lighting along. So that's a consideration as well. I think a tank may work a little better in that situation. Um, go ahead, Jeffrey. Sometimes with these shows, uh, if you have something like a tank or a cart or anything like that, uh, you, there's limitations into bringing on the show floor. They ask you to, to go in the corner and then take your gear and move it from there. Uh, we would have, if we would have had something like that, we wouldn't have done that, been able to do that mocap uh, with the car inside the, uh, and really get the uh, shot of the production truck, unless it was wireless and then doing something wireless to the, to the cart, which then did the stream out. So there is some advantage to that, yeah. But uh, I think that uh, it really depends on what show we're doing and uh, if they if their rules are set up for us to be able to do it. And we're probably going to go a little over. I apologize to the team on the back end. Just give a little, a little bit more time to talk. We have so many questions. I want to get through them. But for the I'm, we're not going to get to all of them. So for the viewers, you need to vote on these questions because we're going to get through we're going to get through a couple more. But um, if you want us to cover them. You got to vote on them because we're only going to go a little over. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina. And Bo says, what are some ways to reduce the two-way communication latency? It seems to make live interactions between the show floor and panel painful. Yeah, we needed to. Re There's two things that we need to do. Number one is we need to reduce the latency on the on the live view and see where the edge is there. Because sometimes, you know, part of why it's so stable is because it, we have latency. We turn that latency down, things will start to break up. The second thing is we need to have the audio feed for the from the. We have to have a way to, for the audio feed to be on a um, going into Unity directly from the crew on the on site so that that two-way is going back and forth we still have to have a there's a little bit of a weird overlap that happens on the other side and we and part of it is we have to rehearse it so that the panelists uh, at least the host that's going to ask the questions or or the panelists understand what the latency is a lot of what makes latency work and not work in broadcast is that the reporters and the fo and the and the um and the folks in the studio understand what there's that there is latency and they don't try to talk over each other so that you'll see them nodding there's a nodding thing that happens a lot and they wait for that thing to happen and they and that's a skill that's not a that's not a hardware problem that's a wetware problem so it's a mixture of lowering the latency and then again for the desk i'm trying to get us bandwidth so that we can have webrtc of some solution managing that process um, to to make that happen so stay tuned for that next question liberty white atlanta georgia it was great to see new faces on the floor the synergies amazing when will we see the dynamic duos again jeffrey powers and georgie kennedy jr with javier alfaro and felipe baez i go at felipe well i will be at ibc 95 percent certainty so that could be a good place to start then we have to figure out how to get Javier to IBC. That's going to be the that's been the key. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, I, it'll be you know I think that these are th these are going to be moments that we're going to have we're going to have a different mix of people in at Cinegear, a different mix of people at SeaGraph, a different mix of people at IBC. I expect to come back to NAB and do it again. Uh, you know, in in the fall, and then if we feel like we want to, then we'll look at CES um, as as the next one there. And so, and I think that beyond, I will say that beyond the great coverage, what was so much fun is just the camaraderie of seeing everybody, you know, running into everybody and having everybody in the same space. 
And that's why I'm really committed to going more, to more of these, which I thought I would never do. Um, but um, but I'm committed to going to more of them. I just want to see more office hours, folks. I, I had I had a really good time hanging out with everybody. So um, so stay tuned for that. Um, next question. Felipe Baez in Prague, Czech Republic, and here on this panel. One of the biggest challenges we faced was internet connection. Most of the time we had between one megabit per second and three megabits per second upload speed. Is there any way we could become an independent from the value, uh, the venue's internet connection, maybe a vendor lending a 3G bonding device? And we did get help from Keenan. So um, Disaster Recovery uh, lent us a, a, a you know a connection that was a bit faster. Uh, but I am working on for Cinegear. Uh, I am trying to see if we can't get a very fast connection um, to to upload things there. Um, the other thing is the Live View has some tools that we didn't use, and I just I just didn't want to confuse everything. But there's a store and forward system inside of the Live View that can upload a lot of things pretty quickly. Um, also, uh, you know, for for us, you know. Uh, Vegas is a little bit of a of an island in LA, which is where the next two events that we're doing are going to be. I have a lot of resources, you know, so my ability to drive it somewhere 15 minutes away and just upload on a one gig connection is pretty high. <laughs> you know, so so I think that you know we may not, you know, we so we there'll be ways for us to do a lot of this in the future that may not be on site, um, but I am working on an on site solution. I, We'll see how that goes. Um, but I'm, I'm working on uh, a potentially a very fast online solution for us to do exactly what you're talking about. Um, next question. Henry Ramos, Yonkers, New York. Uh, did the field crew's IFB have each other in it, such as Crew 1 could hear Crew 2's live shot? I go ahead, Bill. A lot of it, but not all of it. I had some problems at the anchor desk trying to figure out. I At one point... My IFB went really bad. I don't think anybody else's did, and Mickey had to work with me to try to fix it. It, it you know, we're just working these things out, and it, it's live, mm -hmm. and you do what you need to do. Yeah, go, Jeffrey. On the field teams, when I wasn't talking, I could hear hear uh, uh, I could hear the other team going from there. By the way, uh, just want to shout out TJ was also part of that field team, and want to give him props too. We did yeah, get TJ. TJ yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I. DJ's been on the panel a couple of times and I didn't really know him that well. And the two of us were walking back. We happened to be staying at the same hotel at the Westgate. And uh, by the way, I would recommend, I still looked, I looked at the trials and tribulations that everyone threw. I highly recommend the Westgate. I, te I was tempted not to say that because I don't want people to take my, my, my rooms, but, but the, um, the Westgate is so much more convenient than all the other hotels. It's not the shiniest hotel, but it's right next to the North Hall. And I watched everyone trying to get cabs and trying to figure stuff out. And I, and I, I think we should just try to get a, a block of rooms there. And I even was thinking like, oh, I don't know if I really want a house in Vegas specifically because the Westgate is so, I mean, I was like, I don't know if I want to give up the Westgate, um, you know, because it's, it was, so, it's so nice to be able to just walk 10 minutes and be back at the hotel. Um, anyway, and we, because we were moving gear around back and forth, because my room was at the Westgate, we were able to move gear in and out relatively easily. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think that this gets back into unifying that comm system between, um, use, if we use Unity to, uh, or we potentially might use ClearCom as we go forward. Um, so what I'm trying to do is get a ClearCom solution for Cinegear that is uh, is actually trunking through the internet. It's trunking back to a um, a subsystem and using FreeSpeak. Um, you know, at, at, and so we're gonna, we're trying to figure that out for Cinegear. And so if we get that done, then most of these issues will go away pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So so stay tuned for that. Next question. Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What might be a good solution for Office Hours branded wardrobe for our field reporters? Go ahead, Sky. 
Well, I think the mic box the, with the ID on it would be helpful, but I'm I'm going to vote up the polo shirt, and I think a unique uh, like a like a band T-shirt would be fun or a hat. But I'm kind of voting against the tattoo. <laughs> well, it can be temporary. It can be temporary. Go ahead, Philippe. Well, I personally don't love the idea of a uniform uh, because, but. Uh, I'm not there also only for office hours. I also want to be able to represent my own company and myself as well. Um, and I ask, actually see this a little bit like TV. Uh, they are well-dressed, but they are not with uniform normally. So maybe something on the microphone. No, no, but that's it for me. Yeah, I think that for, for, for folks, I think that would help. I think that there's probably going to be crew shirts for the next one. So at least crew t-shirts if people want to use them. Um, and it's not going to be required, but people can wear them if they if they want to. It will make things go a little bit faster, um, you know. And and it it will. It's really good if you're walking around with something on the. It's the back of the shirt. You'll notice that I'll spend a lot of time on the front. Uh, very little. The front of the shirt will always just be a, the logo, no text, on the front. If anything, I want to say is going to be on the back of the shirt because that's what people see. <laughs> so so that's the. Um, and so um, so you'll you know. But people can uh, choose to to do those things. I've I've worn shirts in the past it'll be up to the hosts of what they want to do and what they don't want to do um in that in that area um so we'll we'll see how it goes um but i do think that hats and shirts the, the hard part for me is if you knew how much even though the cards were very simple I, I when we get into branding and things you'll find that i become i have a part of my brain that turns on that becomes very hard to get through it's just i you know i work with a lot of big brands and so i'm just used to a thousand rules that i have to fulfill to make that happen and i'm not even happy with those cards well you'll never see those again i just ran out of time um, next question i'm voting for the office hours boutonnieres and corsages uh next question comes from graham white here now late australia i feel like the lip sync is less important than easy conversation flow from the panel to the field do you think the camera mostly being on gear and or b-roll could work to enable low latency conversation i go ahead dave yeah, that's a style consideration. Before I answer that, though, Brian Shand is asking us to acknowledge Keenan Campbell, who loaned us the Disaster Group router. And and we talked and, about that a little earlier. Yeah. And well, I, we mentioned I, that we had the router, but we didn't mention Keenan, so he wanted us to do that. Anyway, but um, yeah, Keenan, Keenan, it was great for Keenan to make that available to us, and we used it in a couple of different ways, and it was super useful. And yeah. I'm really excited about that solution. I couldn't believe how small it was. It was, mm -hmm. you know, so the that Disaster Recovery's uh, little little uh, modem. It's it's got the little modems. It was a solid ten times faster than what, what we were provided by yes. the venue. Yes. <laughs> so that's go ahead, right. Dave. Yeah. Um, Real quick. The camera on a on gear and on a, a layout or a, a display and then swinging to host is a great way to cover that delay. Mm -hmm. That a person's waiting for the audio, just have the camera off the host. Well, and, and if we have, uh, again, if, if we're embedding the audio in the camera, I, again, I, I think that it's just a matter. What we need to do is they need to be able to hear the panel in real time. That's mm -hmm. the big thing. Uh, we yeah. will. We also need to find a better way for the vendors to hear it. I think we shared headphones uh, with the vendors. Uh, we'll never do that again, ever. I didn't know that it was happening until later, but we can never, ever, ever, like never, 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 ever, never, ever, ever do that again. <laughs> so, so like, so that, there's, a whole, there's a whole line of problems there. So, um, so what we'll do is we'll we'll find a second. Uh, a second system where we won't do it, but but we could. It we was nice do it. for uh, Greg to hear the whole. I, I got after it. hours group there. We, yeah, but that's only for him. Yeah, we, yeah. For, for we can't share it with other people, so it's. Um, but anyway, uh, next next question. Tyler Roberts in Chambersburg. Any swag that was collected that was worth mentioning? Jeffrey, real quick. 
The biggest thing is it's collecting swag. You run into a lot of problems. Uh, there wasn't anything that I found. I did get a couple things afterwards, but that's uh, through relationships with uh, vendors. But uh, the, the most I grab is like a mint from the table, but I, I don't normally grab swag. I don't grab swag because usually my bag is so full. I was like, I don't know where to put it. I don't even want the, I don't even want handouts because I don't know where to put it in my bag. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael, would you ever think of using the office hours space model of creating a central control point at the event site and backhauling the full feed to the studio? We're working on that. That's what we're working on. So stay tuned for that. Um, next question. Keenan Campbell in Nevada. Does office hours get a booth for NAB next year and set up a remote studio to bring guests in? That's a, well, as you, you, obviously this question was asked a little earlier than we talked about it. That's where we're trying to get to. The incredible work that people did over last year, the incredible work that's being done this over the last week, and the incredible work that we ho I hope that we do over the next year sets that up. You know, as we start to build a pattern, it's hard to say, we're going to do this great thing and we're going to come to your thing and you're, it's going to be worth giving us a space um, until we can prove that we can do that. And so as we clean, as we improve all of these and build them all up, um, you know, we're building the, the, we're building the foundation, you know, by doing all the things that we're doing now to make those bigger requests and to get those bigger requests. You know, I asked for a booth at NAB um, in the fall and I didn't even get anyone to respond. I asked, I complained about that on our last time we talked about NAB and someone from NAB reached out. Everybody had press passes. We had access to the press thing. So NAB uh, really came up under us and gave us anything we asked for um, to make that happen. So I, that's what made it ha work. And that's why we're going to keep on going back and wanting to keep on scaling NAB because they did, did such a great job at supporting what we were doing. So we're really excited about that. And we're hoping that we'll get the kind of that kind of support. And what we're going to do is I'm going to cut up all the best parts of, of what we did over those those four hours, and that's going to be my little demo reel that I send out to people, going, "Hey, this is what it looks like when we when we when we cover your event. Can we have a space? And can we do this and everything else?" So, well, you know, so but we need to get those great moments so that we can go back and and go and make those requests, which I'm I'm pretty good at. <laughs> I just need the content. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael, thinking back to the 1990s era NBC Olympics triplecast experiment, what would you think about two to three separate streams with different perspectives that the user can switch between at will? Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, normally, that's been a bad idea. The problem is if they're, the different perspectives are of the same thing at the same time, that might be okay. But you're just diluting your audience. Uh, you know, a streaming venue where you stream those individual short pieces like we're doing now, putting up shorts on YouTube is a better way because then you're not torn between, well, do I watch this crew or do I watch that crew? Well, they're looking at something I really want to see, but I don't want to miss this one that's going on at the same time. So in a live venue, multiple uh, sources and destinations simultaneously mm -hmm. is usually a bad idea. Go ahead, Sky. I did find myself looking at what NAB was offering, and they did an NAB live experience. And again, they were coming from a broadcast history. And so it it there it wasn't a comparative, but it was information that they had access to that we were still like, you know, learning and gaining. Yeah. And and again, as we do these, what happens is is that you'll suddenly start seeing that we get all of the emails from every vendor and everybody wants to, you know, that's you know, the cards we hunt out were press at so that people can start sending things to us. And um, so you're going to see us just start to wrap it up so that we know what's coming up. We know what to plan for. We know how to do those things. And and again, I think that, you know, I, I, I'd like to mix it and match it. I think that um, I would rather extend the length of time that we cover the event rather than the number of tracks. If we get to that point, maybe someday 
but we don't have the teams or we haven't until we get to a point where we go to NAB from 10 a.m. until it closes, we're running. In fact, I want to get to a point where we're going two hours before NAB, before the expo starts with roundtable discussions and all kinds of other stuff. And then we go into the evening, take you to some of the parties, you know, do all those things. And we don't have the crew for that. So no one should freak out yet. Um, but but I think that the idea, though, is we might run 15, 18 hours, not one hour, two hours, but every day. When we get to the point where we're going 18 hours a day, you know, four days straight, and we're and we feel like we didn't cover the event. We'll have discussions about let's get a second track, but that's probably it's not never. It's probably three to five years away. Um, next question, Alexander Knight from British, uh, Vancouver, BC. Where can I check out the five point one videos? I tried watching one of the HDR tests on iOS when it was live streamed, but it wasn't giving me spatial audio. I took it down. I'll put up a couple of little sections of it. I, I don't want a lot of it floating around because it was a test and there were some irregularities that I don't want to leave up. So um, so I'm going to um, cut it down. There'll be probably a five or 10 minute piece of that that uh, that that goes up. So um, yeah, so, so stay tuned for that. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael, if we want to raise the audio experience ball, uh, bar, what could we do? Would the use of virtual spatial audio technologies like Waves NX or the like be a way to bring the immersive experience to a larger audience? I think we did that. The 5.1 test that went out, um, I think, I mean, so the response that I got was over the top. Like there were a whole bunch of people that are really high up in the industry that were watching that. Um, that the second half of it, um, they, they didn't get, they, I let it, I waited. <laughs> I didn't send out anything until I knew it was going to work. So you might have, there's some point where you might see me looking down and texting. That's when I'm like texting a whole bunch of people like, you might want to check this out. And it was about 35, 40 minutes into the, into the show. And um, they, everyone thought it was, they thought that the immersion made a huge difference. So, um, you know, we didn't know if it would, it was an experiment. We were trying to figure it out. But they, the response was, I really felt way more like I was there, which is exactly what we wanted. Now, there were some things we, we were playing around with the mics and the mics were there. I think the mics need to just stay in the center. So I think that the two people talking need to stay right in the center channel and we call that a day and then we have everything else go. And we, it was good that we experimented with it and we may still experiment with it a little bit, but I think that the two people going back and forth, I think might've been really hard because we're moving around and I think it was... It, I know that knowing that I would that the mics needed to stay on one side or the other was a huge distraction for me as a host, you know, at, to a point where I, I didn't want to do that again because I was just like, I just want the mics to go down the center. And that was just because on the ground, I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't, I didn't like to be contained. Um, and so, uh, so I think that keeping those in the center, but having the atmosphere go into it, um, I got a I got a lot of positive response. So we're definitely going to do that again. Next question. And the final one, Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. What's the hierarchy of shows after NAB in order of importance? IBC is the, the other than NAB for us, IBC is the other really big one. That's the one that will, and you know, how big these, how big our coverage gets for each one of these is how many people sign up. Like how many teams can we do? How many, like I can build these things up, but we have to know we have it. So I, how big IBC becomes will be up to the European uh, contingent of office hours and how important that they think that it is. Um, then after that, you know, we have obviously we have NAM will cover next year. And the reason we didn't cover it this year is because it was right up against uh, NAB, which I thought was insane. Um, and so uh, so I, I couldn't, you know, cover both of those. I was glad that Jeffrey and Ronnie and, and his son got got down there and and did some coverage of that, but but we will we'll definitely cover NAM next year. Um, but I think that our two big ones are always. I mean, not maybe not always, but our two big ones are NAB and IBC. Um, and then NAB after that, I would say NAB New York because the cool thing about NAB New York is it has AEC, so the uh, the Audio Engineers Society. So we'll be able to cover that. 
Um, and then we have um, inside of that, we have the, um, uh, you know, Cinegear, I think would come after that. I think it's it's really, it's just a fun one. There's lots of fun things to look at. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun at Seagraph um, this year. It's in LA. So when last year I was a little resistant because it was out of the country. Um, and then um, and then we have to decide whether we want to cover CES. I think that CES is a, uh, you know, it's, it's just massive. Um, so it's just a matter of, and is it enough? But there's a lot of shiny things to look at. So we may, you know, maybe a good one to do. So CES might be one of those. NAM definitely uh, will cover. I think that, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us to do lots of little coverages all year round. Um, I may look for, you know, the live view isn't going home immediately so so we may be looking some at some opportunities um in the uh even next week to do do a little bit of coverage um stay tuned for that and so uh so but we're gonna probably take that live view out and exercise it as often as we can um and uh so i think there could be events that we send three people out to or five people out to and, and that's going to help us get better at what we do all right is I just want to thank Bill um, to uh, thank Bill. Bill could have come to the show. He normally comes to the show and he took one for the team. So he came, he drove out, had dinner with all of us and then drove home and then covered for me through the, through the week and then made sure that this show went really well. And, um, and it was just, uh, it was fantastic, you know, and uh, Bill, we couldn't have done this without you taking that, taking, you know, making that sacrifice for us. So we really, really appreciate, uh, what you did there. So just thanks for, I know that NAB is a big thing for all of us. And there's a lot of friends that we all see and hang out with and Bill took, chose not to do that. We will do, work our very hard and make sure that Bill doesn't have to do that every single, <laughs> every single time we want Bill to be able to actually go out and hang out. So anyway, it was, uh, it was great to have you, Bill, for that first, that dinner, um, and really, really appreciate it. It gave us the freedom to be able to do this and know that the show was going to get managed. So, so anyway, so thanks so much. And, um, and thanks to the, again, I, we didn't thank everybody that we needed to, and we didn't thank everybody that contributed to it. And I just want to thank everybody. Um, uh, uh, so to, that, that worked on the back end, that worked on the front end, um, that, uh, that it was just really, really an amazing experience. We learned a lot. Uh, we, we got a lot done. We got, I mean, we, it's going to get better. This is, you know, this is a, 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 an experiment we did. In, and I want to thank all the teams that worked last year on this and put together an incredible pro, um, project that got us to a point where we kind of understood what we wanted to try. And we tried this and I think it went really well. It's only going to get better. It's just going to keep on getting better and more refined as we move forward. Uh, we are going to on... Um, uh, on Monday, you'll, you'll get a thing for, uh, Cinegear. You need to sign up very quickly because it's coming up really quickly and we're going to have to ask for press passes. We're gonna have to ask for things. So think about it over the weekend, whether you think you can come or whether you want to work on the back end. Um, but, but think about, um, how that, uh, you know, whether that makes sense for you. Um, and, uh, the, uh, I, I, we'd love to have you there. I'm going to be down there as part of the coverage. Um, we may also have a little bit of coverage for WWC um, on site. <laughs> so so stay tuned for that as well. That'll be coming right after that. So stay tuned uh, for, for that as well. And um, anyway, it was great. It was really, really great. Um, thanks again to all the questions. It was a great, great conversation today. Thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. And thanks to the incredible team, both for NAB and for this show that make this happen every single day day for, I don't know, 1200 times or something like that. It's incredible. Um, you know, it was really fun to see this big panel today of all these great cameras and mics and everything else. And it was great to see people that we like, like Kirsten, that we don't see very often, uh, come on, on the panel. So you, Kirsten, you need to come on more often. We'd love to have you. Um, anyway, so it was just really fantastic. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours.
good. That was a lot of bananas. 1.1 billion. 1.1 billion. Did you see the hidden banana? This is my first whisper. Yeah, see, this is the whisper room. Actually, I've kind of decided we can't do the whisper room when we have vendors here because it's too 